hear me? We're on, yeah, man. Dinner. Good morning. How are you? I'm up. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. I'm up now. Me too. Welcome to this episode of the Wax Toaster with Jeremiah Doherty. Let me get you there. Let me get you there because this is common mispron mispronunciation in all rollerblading. I was going to ask you to do this. So as far as I know, and I'm, see, I asked Gregory Preston about this because I'm not, like, I haven't been to Ireland, but my dad's side of the family is like third generation Irish. Like my dad is like third generation over here kind of thing. My last name is pronounced Doherty, like Doherty. like Docker and T. So I guess it's the D-O-U-G-H would come off super harsh. Like the G-H would almost be like a C-K, but I don't know. As I say, dialect and pronunciation for Ireland, I would love to get over there and hear somebody from that, from where I'm from over there, tell me how my last name is pronounced. But American, it's Jeremiah Doherty. Doherty. I don't know. I, I want to hear, like I'm thinking about the Irish accent and I'm like, what, how does it sound with Doherty? Doherty or something. Doherty. <laughs> yeah, like the G-H harsh, I think, because yeah. like, think about, Germany and other areas like it's a really guttural uh like those uh those letters are like very guttural in those areas kind of thing so I feel like that's like a a harsh sound and Americans suck at keeping the pronunciation of things so I'll be honest you don't look very Irish as far as Irish <laughs> maybe my mom so my dad's my dad's side of the family is all Irish like all Irish and then my mom's black so okay that's like my hair, what everybody's seen, like my hair and all of that is like, I have my mom's hair. I have freckles and all of that shit. Like, uh, I, I guess if I, anytime I've shaved my head and I'm bald, that's like, I look like a white person. But aside from that, if I have hair, I don't look white. This is good. <laughs> Crazy. We were, we were talking about like where you're from originally. And I didn't think we were going to start with like where you came from ethnically. But now that we're moving forward from the from the roots <laughs> where were you born where did they conceive you all right dig this shit so uh i was born in pittsburgh uh in a little shitty town called wilmerding uh, wilmerding yeah it's uh cody refner and parker and all those people they know about that shit it's like uh it's right outside of the city it's a little shitty area and uh yeah, that's where I was born. I lived there until I was like three. And then I moved to New Jersey, uh, where my grandparents lived on my dad's side, um, to a town called Collingswood that's in Camden County, which is directly across the bridge from Philadelphia. So it's super where, south. Yeah, where my grandparents lived and like where. So, like, I lived in Collingswood for a few years. Uh, my parents moved out into Camden to this town called Fairview for a little bit. And then we got a house back in Collingswood and both, both my grandparents' house and the house that my parents got were a few blocks apart. They were two blocks away from the train, the Patco train that went over the Ben Franklin bridge to Philly. So oh. like, I was two blocks away from getting on uh, the Collingswood stops. So it would be like Collingswood a few of the stops in New Jersey, like City Hall and a few of the other ones in Camden, and then right over the Ben Franklin Bridge. And then first stop was 8th and Market. So get off at 8th and Market and go to fucking City Hall and shit. So, so how old are you when you're doing this, when you're doing this yeah. commute? Uh, 
All right, so this is something. I, I had this written down on a piece of paper. I got my first pair of, I've always had skates. I've always had recreational skates. Like when I moved to my grandparents' house when I was three, that Christmas, I got a pair of recreational skates. Like I've always had, you know, you shitty strap skates with brakes, that kind of thing. I always had them. I got my first pair of skates from a place called Dan's Eisen and Quigley. Uh, I got non-UFS M12s when I was nine years old for my ninth birthday. Damn. And then the next year for my 10th birthday, I believe, I went with my older brother, Matt, who taught me how to skate. He's five years older than me, like a little bit further ahead in things. Uh, he took me to Blade in Action. We hopped on the train. We walked to Blade in Action. And so for the Philly people that are going to be watching this that know, I was 10 years old. So I showed up at Blade in Action and Chrissy was working. And like most, some people in Philly know like Sam Post and stuff like that. Like they were working Blade in Action at the time. And like I bought my first pair of Shima One reissues with the lower liners uh, when I was 10 years old from Blade in Action. So I was literally from then on every weekend with my brother given uh you know money and availability kind of thing if my brother wasn't hanging out with his friends doing like non-skate related stuff then it was like me bugging him like yo let's go over to philly let's go over to philly um and i from literally 10 on was like i was doing i was like over in philly either with my brother or like by myself shit like that so, what year what years were you like uh would you say this was all right, so I was born in 91, so this would be like uh, 2000s, uh, like 2000, 2001. Uh, like my first skate videos that my brother brought home to my house from Blade in Action were Hook 7, Poetry in Motion, and Apprehensions. So Apprehensions and Poetry in Motion by Chris Majette were just like, what the fuck? Like I, I said, we're right, across, we're right across the bridge from this, and I'm like going over there like gromming out when you see like i i guess let's say like a typical weekend session when i'm 10 years old would be like you get on the train you go over to fucking blade in action and you meet a crew of like fucking 30 people so it'd be like uh steve iacono alf all mm -hmm. those guys ed braxton fucking uh meatwad chris edgerton uh pun uh chris carroll shorty all the like all those dudes and it would be people like like this is the classic thing at blade in action there would be people sleeping on the couches at blade in action waiting for the pens landing session so like oh. when a group of people got like big enough it would be like all right like uh how i said this chick chrissy would work there uh she would just straight like shut down the shop and be like all right we're out we're going down to fucking pens landing for like a two-hour session and like given the weekend session kind of thing like it could be a saturday at five o'clock and blade action would be closed because there's like a 20 30 deep session down at the sea ledge at penn's landing and that classic was, yeah so that was like gee i mean literally so i stayed on the east coast until i was fucking 20 years old so like literally did that for a decade there was that wasn't the only uh skate shop in philly blade in action that was before my time so, in skating yeah so dig blade yeah, <laughs> Blade in Action, the place that the location that I'm talking about was the location right off of South Street. And then that's like South Philly. Mm -hmm. um, then for a little bit, uh, I want to say that Blade in Action moved and they were out by the art museum where like Payne's skate park is. Okay. They had a location there, but I, 
I might be blurry on this. It might have been blatant action, but it also might have been the start of neglected truth. Okay. But yeah. it was still like uh I I've never I guess I've never known the fine details of who owned blatant action. But mm. it was like, you know, I went there and it would be like everybody was working there. I went there and like uh Michael Elias would be working there from time to time and shit like uh just like random random people that in turn would be at neglected truth uh yeah so it was like blade in action blade in action at another location and then there wasn't a skate shop for a little bit in philly and what ended up happening is in west philly uh where the neglected truth like location ended up being that's where like i guess what i found out it's like uh if you've ever been to philly mecca and like all of those spots like the drexel Mm-hmm. So like there's the the Drexel kink that Sean does topsail outspin three topsail on in opinions. Yeah. Yep. That's like the area that Neglected Truth was in. Yeah. So like two blocks away from there, literally like right up the street from like those rails and shit. That's where Neglected Truth was. And like I'd gone to Neglected Truth, and again for the Philly people watching, I went to Neglected Truth while it still had the sign that said the Casual Shop. They like when they moved into it, they didn't have the sign that said Neglected Truth, and they still had the prior place's name up so sometimes you'd get like a call to go meet somewhere and be like yo just meet at the casual shop but oh, that's kind of sick yeah. yeah and it wasn't neglected truth yet so like been at like yeah like been in and out of like i guess that scene being across the bridge in new jersey like i had my crew of kids that i came up with in new jersey that like we would travel over and meet up with like the philly crews and shit like that so I guess around the time that Neglected would have been in Drexel, I would have been 14 or something like that. So like, uh, I went there when I was like 12, maybe. So how old are you right now? How old are you? I'm going to be 28 in like two weeks. Okay. Yeah. So I just turned 30 in April. So like, we're not, so yeah, if I was going there like 14 or something, you would have been, yeah, like, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, like, I, I guess I would place it then, and uh, Neglected was definitely, like, the hub, because from there was, like, I said, I would meet up with crews that would be, like, you would show up in Neglected and meet up with uh, Meatwad and Pun's crew, or meet up with, like, uh, Ricky and Bellino and all of those. So, like, even though I'm from Jersey, I was from South Jersey, and, like, I'm from one side of South Jersey and Bellino is from Atlantic city on the Mm -hmm. shore side. You know, I was on like the, the other side of it, but he linked up with the North Jersey crew. And so like, they were also old, like John, I think is like a year older than me, something like that. Mm. Um, He was up with with Narbecue and Daffic and all the Stokely guys. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like uh, Nar Mobile, Uh Mobile, all those motherfuckers. Uh, I'm like, like, this is so, Mikey Peluso, all those guys. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we were like separate crews, but it would always be like, again, like they're a little bit older than us. So they were already filming like Mikey Peluso, uh, Sean Keen from the East coast. The um, other Sean Keen. Yeah. See, so the other <laughs> Sean Keen that people know about, uh, and all of those guys would like, we would come and we would meet up with those guys and like, kind of, you know, tat like tag along again, us being a little bit younger, they were seriously filming for shit that now it's like, there's a video that was on YouTube for a little bit that Sean Keen and Mikey Peluso made called Whether It Makes Sense or Not. Hmm. 
and it had a Stokely section, uh, Eric Stokely and uh, his brother Kyle. Yeah. Uh, it had a little Sean Money section. Fire. It had, it had this John Bellino section to a fucking Beastie Boys song, and he was skating Razor Genesis. Is that when he's a little kid? Doing um, the gaps, or is that one one before that? No, no, no. This would no, be isn't that the era when he was skating like the forty-five strap on the Genesis? Yes. So this would be right after. Uh, this would be like right after genre and shit like that. Like so, yeah, that, like, that was like, like in the scene. Era. Yeah. So mm. all right. So this is another thing that people in the Philly area. So it's like denial into genre. Denial just kind of like. It's, this was explained in the uh, Kelso podcast, the um, mushroom blading podcast of how Colin's like responsible for certain companies uh, dissipating and shit like that. So <laughs> denial just kind of like disappeared after like the, there was like a phase of like a underestimated to opinions. Mm-hmm. And like during that time period, and like me being, as I say, I was like a little kid kind of gromming out. Like I would show up at a session at Cecil B. Moore. And like, I grew up watching Underestimated and seeing Cheshire in baggy clothes. I grew up seeing Colin in baggy clothes in Genesis. Yo, I showed up to fucking Cecil B. Moore one day and me and my brother, we'll talk about this forever. There, I have, I have specific like handful sessions, like 10 sessions where I showed up completely unplanned, just like we, we didn't make any plans with anybody. Me and my brother and a friend or something would go over to Philly and we would show up and we would see one of these legendary people to us, like the Kelsos or somebody, just fucking personal session, no cameras. And I pulled up to Cecil when I was like 14 or 15, and this would have been around the time of Opinions. And I see motherfucking, or this would have been after Opinions was filmed because uh, Colin was skating Deshies and he was skating the McLeods. And I remember hearing in one of his interviews how he had put out both sections under razors. There was like opinions and then the physics video and razors wasn't going to make him pro. So he went to a comp and like Louie or Louie and Randy were like, you want to ride for fucking Deshi? And he was like, hell yeah. So this was like, I guess around that time period, I show up and it's Colin, Sean and Cheshire in what would be like transition to like opinions, like what we would see for opinions, it was Cheshire and tight clothes and Deshies. Sean was actually in Deshies. He was in McLeod's. He skated Deshies for a little bit. So all three of them, I think, were riding McLeod's. And it was like the, again, no cameras. They weren't even filming each other. It was just, mm. just the three of them. Colin was wearing, he was bald and wearing a Freddy Krueger sweater. What? Yo, that's what will forever stick in my mind. It was like, I had these like few sessions where like I was coming up and I had just seen opinions, but then I'd skate with Colin at neglected or in those sessions where Colin was already filming for what would be the genre video, which is like a step, like a step in a completely different direction. Clothing, skates, style and focus all of me being a little grom kid. I'm like, wait, what What am I wearing? You know, like (laughs) I'm, I thought, I thought we were still in double XL baggy, and shit like that, like, come on, what's, and this is something where most scenes as a kid, uh, I've been talking about this with a few rollerbladers on Instagram, like the cycle of what social media is doing to rollerblading. Back when I was a kid, you used to have to wait six months to a year for a video. So your recycling time for 
digesting of seeing a video, digesting it, processing like, oh, my favorite pro changed up a little bit. He changed skates, he changed clothes. That's a different section song than I thought they would have used. Like all of those things that apply, then as a little kid kind of like reshape your direction for a year. You, you know, and every, all, both, all three of us know this. It's like, we saw opinions and everybody switched to wearing tight clothes. We, you know, like the, the things that happen over time, like we were influenced by what we were immediately seeing, but then going to skate sessions and seeing it firsthand where there, it's like in my head, I have a few times where like, I would show up at sessions that ended up in videos and I'm like, I, you know, I was there. So like, I remember how that felt to be there for that like grand shift in the scene kind of thing. And like, there was, I guess like Philadelphia had like a lot of just clear points of like shifting because of the videos that came out and I guess same crew representation over time. Like I would see things and then immediately be able to like, you know, I, I saw, I was at that session, you know, I, uh, at Cecil B. Moore when I saw the three of them, they're all skating clouds. I was like skating fucking Solomon's or something because I'd seen opinions and I seen that check guy was skating Solomon's like, I was skating Solomon's. I knew what Deshi's were. The only other things that I'd really seen for it, like were uh, random things. Like uh, there were random ads that came out for Deshi, but it wasn't really like a thing yet. There was an ad in Fruit Booter with Ian McLeod where he does like a, it's a handicap and it's in slow motion. It's like this handicap with a kink that I guess would be like a, a walkway on the right side, but then there's like a three set on the left side. So like, if you do the handicap on the left side, you could like drop out. Mm -hmm. And he goes like soul seven to forward in the original Deshies, like the original DK boot or whatever. Yeah, the fully stock boot in triple XL sweats, beanie and all that shit. And I was like, God damn, like deshies are fucking sick like if it allows you to skate like that so it was like i'd seen shit from deshi and i saw that farmer was going to be skating for him and like you didn't really see anything for a little bit and then the deshi team video came out and that's around the time like i guess i saw colin and them skating that but all of those things were like major shift points in my influence to like continue continue showing up in Philly and continue skating and like continue wanting to actively participate like Philly for a very long time up until like I left in 2012 mm. and I would say that uh 2012 was like the genre is dead video and that kind of explains it yeah that and like truth too that was like the culmination of a lot of those things and it's like we're like 2012 we're right walking into like where it's like i don't know it's gonna happen for the next eight years that's yeah. right around where where we were at in that timeline so that's a weird transition too because as somebody who grew up in the philly scene it's like majet had hold over the philly scene as filmer and like almost like creative director with denial mm -hmm. and the early days of mike rios and stuff like that uh kill and that so what most people would know is the second resurgence of denial Kilgore was responsible for, you know, mm -hmm. Kilgore really fucking brought that back. And that's where like Bellino got brought back into the scene. Mark Voida. I don't know if I'm saying his last name, right? I hope I am. Cause I think it's, it's Voida. Yeah. yeah like, it's however you say his name, I fucking love his skating. I've skated with him like a few times, again, a few times in sessions while they were filming 
for genres dead and shit like that. Like while he was out filming in Philadelphia and John was living with Kilgore, you know, I'd skated and hung out with John during that time period enough that like, yeah, the second resurgence of denial, I grew up on the first wave. And then the second wave came back and I was like, fuck yeah. Like I'm all for it. I was I second wave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See you're saying, and that's the thing I yeah. still have for people that like, remember it, I still have, maybe my parents have it kind of thing. Maybe my mom, you know, uh, mm, I'm trying to think of the run. It would be like, uh, the, uh, the underestimated video, you know, how the names for the intros of the profile, it would say like, uh, in the beginning of Colin section, it was like the, it just showed him, but then it said his name and there was a little, uh, decibel meter thing. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah in yeah. the background. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, uh, for Michael Elias's section, it showed his name with his little logo with the skull and things like that. That was actually his pro t-shirt. So like uh, there was this one really crazy run of pro shirts for denial. Like Walt Austin had this like side shape t-shirt and it was like a circle, a square, and all these things, everybody had a really crazy run. And that was before the DNYL logo. Okay. And underestimated. So like yeah. right around that time, there was a really crazy run of pro t-shirts. And, you know, like that was the thing, like I was up and around that time, like as a little Brom kid, like I bought every fucking one of those shirts I could. And then yeah. second wave came and I was like, you guys don't fucking understand how serious this is because like, you know, like this is representing Philly in a new wave. And then for truth too, like for the truth thing, it was like the Kelsos for me in my eyes, like they were slotted to do something for a long time. And for me showing up at sessions and seeing that like maybe Majet wasn't there, but they were filming. Um, the genres video, uh, choose your genre. In the bonus section, there's like the Kelso edits. Mm. And that's like, that was brewing what we saw for the truth and then truth too. And like, that's the thing for me, like they had their own, for a very long time, had their own vision of how they wanted their skating portrayed and wanted to continue Philadelphia beyond their peers. Um, there's a, there's a Colin Kelso interview in the, one of the last daily breads when they got really thin and he's skating the carbons, like the, the Deshi carbons, the original black and white ones. And he said, they bring up like, you skate Annie Rocker now, right? And he's like, oh God, like, let's get into this. Like, uh, yeah, I skate Annie Rocker after like, de like a decade plus of skating flat because that's like, it's conditioning what you're told to do. Frederick and all those people, like, it's like, if it doesn't flat, it doesn't count. But then yeah. you bring the details of like, people like shoot in shit. Like you ride in like 55s flat, bro. That's, I ride 60s flat. No questions asked. I throw 60s on my skate and burrow the hole in the frames of the sole plate and they stay on until they are too small and then like a 60s flat all over again. I've never intentionally gone out of my way to ride small frames be or small wheels because flat limits me or something. So like there's a lot of stuff in Philly, like there's there's rules and you guys know this from being from the East Coast. There's fucking rules. The rules are there's different over there. They're more a little more intense. Oh, very strange and see you know see and that yeah you know they're very rigid fucking rules and generation by generation a lot of those rules were either upkept or broken down and like the things that were broken down i would say would be uh 
it would be an influence in clothing style and then people skating flat. It was like almost a mandatory thing back in the day that you skated flat. One, because wheels fucking sucked and they came stock on your skates. When I bought my Shimas from Blade in Action, they came with the option of getting them flat or anti rocker. Like basically, they asked me at the shop, like, do you want flat or anti rocker? And I was like, I don't fucking want any rocker. Like, give me all four of my, like, give me all eight of my wheels, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, so I've been, like, there was a phase where Omar Y song, all those people like, uh, were skating freestyle and the East coast, like Murda and all those people, like Murda had the fucking Murda block for ground control. Yep. Like freestyle was a thing. I never got into it because I've always, it's like early day training. I've skated flat from the beginnings. So, like I never needed to skate freestyle and I did for a very long time like like five years you know like maybe from like 14 until like right around like 18 or 20 like I was on and off skating freestyle and that was like I was just a broke-ass kid and didn't have the option of riding eight down all the wheels yeah you know it'd be like I had four different color wheels that came from four different fucking homies you know like that kind of thing so uh you know there's the rule following shit on the east coast so Go ahead. That that brings me up. That brings us to something that I want to talk about. Is your you used to make your own skates, correct? When were you doing that, and how is that going? Like, how is that happening? I know we were like that's kind of like a, a weird jump, but like no, the, no, no, no. The four different not, wheels. It's not because me. it's not because this goes directly in line with Colin Kelso is responsible for that. Uh, shit. I've, always, I've always been inadvertently. Uh. I've always been influenced by Colin skating uh, like Abdel Kohlberg and Colin have this symbiosis in their style and, and approach to skating that I just linked with right away when I was, when I really understood studying style, like me and my older brother, and this all goes in, this is going to be a really short circle here, but this all goes into how I started making skates. And I'll try and keep it down to a paragraph right here. Uh, <laughs> me and my brother, you know, like in my teen years, smoke weed, watch skate videos. And one day it just clicked. Like we have a box outside. Why don't we like pick a section that we really like and watch this shit in slow-mo like a DVDs and shit. Let's put this shit on slow-mo quarter speed and like watch a Cheshire section all slow-mo and then go out and like deconstruct what it is about our skating that we don't fucking like and then apply, uh, it's, it's the, the triangle, creation, maintenance, and destruction, that everything in life follows. So like you create the idea, you maintain that idea, you destroy it and you explore. So like we kind of started this process where the creation of the idea would be studying a new section, studying a new style. And then it would be like the maintenance would be like uh, applying and maintaining that style for like a period of time, be it a week or a month. And then like, I've learned everything I can from this almost like uh, I would apply this to um, artistry and like uh, um, martial arts and things like that. Uh, other sports where someone can football, you even hear about these motherfuckers study foot, study game tapes. They sit there and all right, watch this pass. It's coming up. Da, 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 and that's what made it uh, seeing super creepy things about Kobe's uh, game tapes. If you watch them, side by side clip for clip of that and fucking uh, Jordan 
and how he has his movements and spin moves and layups exactly laid up. Believe me, I've sat and studied shit in slow motion to apply it to my skating and watched it bleed through in physical representation and section. So it got to a point where I wasn't happy with my skating. And this mm. is like, I'm 16. Like I'm, I'm extremely unhappy with my skating. And I came up in a crew where uh, you guys might've met him once or twice. Mikey Evans uh, skated just like Cheshire. That name sounds familiar. So like my crew of kids would have been like Joe Siphon, uh, Chris Shackerman, Sam Law, Mike Evans, and me were like, we would show up sometimes to North Jersey sessions, like shields and shit like that. And like Mikey skated exactly to a T like Cheshire dressed like him uh and like just everything from from day one the second like he came into skating like got solomon saw opinion shit like that like he was a little bit younger than me like a few years younger than me um and it was the thing like i was influenced by a different generation than him and like he came in and was so influenced by cheshire's like opinion era and on skating he was the first person that i saw able to duplicate and completely replicate someone's not only their style but approach to skating on their own mikey would show up to spots and do shit where i'd be like are we watching cheshire's next section right now like what the fuck is going on because do you know do you know trent trent olans have you met trent yeah i was gonna bring that up he's a north jersey kid it sounds very familiar. It's the same way that this Mike Evans thing plays out, but it's I like, know who you're, what, does he say like John? Yes. Yeah. And it's like, I know who you're talking about. Yes. It's like, what the fuck? How did you figure that out, bro? Because now these kids, uh, we're seeing it now. And uh, I'll close this out before I start talking about the skates. We're mm -hmm. seeing this closed bubble where kids have the opportunity to digest the material that they're seeing and apply it to their skating in real time with cameras and phones where, all right, I'm gonna try this trick and they can reference it by, you can be on your phone and look at a clip and then go at a spot and go, all right, I'm gonna topsail and land with my arm just like this, or I'm gonna land just like this. And you can watch your clip in real time. And even if you don't have a filmer, you could tripod that shit yourself on your, your own phone, not even a camera, your phone. And in real time go, huh, and you'll figure it out. What, is, what am I doing wrong here? And so there are kids that they, that's how their mind works. Like that's where their mind applies it to. Like, well, I'm not going to do this in another walk of my, I'll just apply it to my creative expression. So this all in turn too, I got extremely unhappy with my skating and I see Mikey all the time. Just like Mikey's, Mikey's nailing what I think skating is. Mm -hmm. Every time we show up, Mikey won, I guess through, I guess, interpretation of style his outfits and his skates, like the skates that he was choosing to skate. It's one of those things where filming or not, it just looked like somebody you wanted to be like, like seen with sessioning with, like he made rollerblading look good the same way that Cheshire, the Kelso shit like that. So within my crew, it was like me, Mikey and Chris Ackerman and Chris Ackerman, uh, made music for a while and like stepped out of skating and he just came back and he fucking post clips on his thing, like he skates uh, pains all the time and he's fucking killing it like day one all over again. Mm. Same ass style, same shit. And it's like, I fucking, you know, like I, I said this to him recently. I was like, you know that like you and Mikey kind of thing, like, you were the only ones out of the crew that were really on a level like we could fuck with each other. Like we were the ones pushing the session. 
and like style wise, trick wise, and like, look at how it is you came back to it and you're still, you're still where you should be, you know, like you had your style when you left. So you came back and like, you got your switch up style and I still respect it the same way. These kids influenced me in a way where I was like, I somehow feel like I'm a step behind these kids. And like, it's a good place to be sometimes though. It, it is because the underdog thing is like me, step me being uh, a step behind and consciously at a point, removing myself from actively trying to keep up with things. I would see like the upkeep that it takes to follow a style or the thing like waiting on the next section for somebody to know how you got to dress. <laughs> Those kind of things like- So also, impressionable. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like I saw, I saw the mental and physical, like, uh, like how taxing it was to be so impressionable. Totally. And not to say that as teens, we shouldn't be. But in something like skating, where you literally shape your entire fucking life around these people that you're watching and the interviews that you see in magazines and things, but understand people do this in every walk of life. People do this as musicians. People do this as artists. You know, you, you fixate on someone or something and you build your life around it in phases. So the phase that led to me making skates would be, I was extremely unhappy with my skating and I was skating deshies. And I collected three or four pairs and Mikey skated Deshi. So he would always like, I was, I, this is the thing. Like I wasn't poor growing up. My parents worked their fucking asses off in middle-class society and were paying mortgage on a house that I grew up in. I had clothes on my back, food on my stomach, public education. And when push came to shove money, when it's like uh, wants versus needs money, when I needed it, mm. needed Needs not long. There were, okay. there were a few, you know, without getting teary eyed there, there's my dad passed away in 2015 and, uh, my dad was extremely supportive of me and my brother skating and not more so than my mom, but like, it's like the, it's like the guy thing, you know, like my, my boys are doing something and I played soccer. My dad was my soccer coach for a little bit. Like I was, my dad was just into physical activity and being active because my dad had uh, diabetes to where his health was declining while I was growing up. Like my dad's health from 15 to 25, my dad's health was on a steady decline. Mm -hmm. So like, it was like, my dad was my soccer coach. And a few years after he was my soccer coach, he ended up like breaking his foot or an injury that led to him not being able to like, you know, walk around the fucking block without a cane, things like that. So like yeah. my dad was super supportive in that. And uh, they would buy skates for me. I, it's like, you know, we were in a situation as a kid where we had what we needed. So like one time around my birthday, something came up very serious with bills in the car. And I was like 15 or 16. And this is what led to me making skates. Mm. Uh, I was supposed to get skates for my birthday. And they go, we need the car. We basically need the money that would be used for your skates they were talking about three four hundred bucks and uh you know and you guys know this from having cars uh a basic repair you know like what i what i would put it to now is basically like either the engine needed a basic fucking tune-up or there was a pipe or something need to be replaced uh, uh gaskets on whatever three four hundred yeah anything mm -hmm. a car that my parents are active i'm 15 16 a car that my parents are actively using both of them working full-time jobs and putting this into perspective of where I was, 
I like take a step back, remove myself from self and look at my family, look at everything. And they go, the realistic thing here is you can, well, we'll buy you these skates. That means that there's not going to be groceries for the next two weeks. And that's, we will shift this around and like, look at and my mom. Uh, we have, we had this rule is like staples, a staple food, a uh, 10 pound bag of rice, pasta, um, you know, vegetables, basic ass things were like pantry cooking. Yeah. Like the thing where like uh, push comes to shove shit hits the fan and you don't have a dollar to your fucking name. You can sustain yourself on the food in your pantry, pantry cooking. Yes. Like, you know that you can put a meal together that will sustain you while you're working your job till your next paycheck. And my parents were always adamant on, uh, like I say, we, I, kids love to say I was poor growing up. Like you weren't, you had a poor mindset about where you were. My parents literally worked their fucking asses off. My dad worked full time while I was a kid so much. I didn't know who my dad was until I was like nine years old. My, my dad worked so much overtime, literally. Like I didn't have a real relationship with my dad until I was like nine years old. And that's where skating came into play. My dad got me skates. My dad watched me skating. My dad was actively like my dad. What I find out, my dad was working his ass off to get our house that I lived mm -hmm. in, you know, like all of that. So it's like, yeah, my dad did a lot of shit to make skating a viable option. So all of this too, my dad saying, do you want skates or no food in the house? And I was like, all right, we're businessmen here. Let's barter. How about we get pantry food and you get me supplies to make skates? My dad sits me down and goes, let's talk about a fucking business plan. Now, what do you need to make skates? And I'm like, yo, I've been like deconstructing this idea in my head for a while now, dad. And I was like, I have three pairs of deshies. And just last night, I, like I took apart a pair of the deshies with like, I took an X-Acto knife and undid all the stitching. And like, I pieced everything out all the way down to the shell of like underneath of like the fabric on the deshi the inner lining and then the plastic shell, like that was the cuff support on the inside and shit like that. Like I basically like a uh, parted it out kind of thing. Like I was going to pattern it. And uh, I told my dad, I was like, I know how I can do this. Like I, I, and at this time, like I'm smoking weed. I'm like, I like kind of like smoke some weed and figured out like the physical <laughs> application of like making this is doable by my own hands. And when I deconstructed the Deshi, their cuff support system was an extremely thin layer of plastic. Mm, and yeah. I told my dad, I just did basic research. I actually, at the time period, I messaged Kato from REMS. I, I like, I asked around, you know, for some information and Kato told me the original plastic that he used to make REMS. And I'm not going to say a fucking word to anybody about what it was. So he gave me that plastic and this is like, you know, this is like Facebook messenger kind of thing. Like I, you know, I messaged he had, him. He had a special plastic? Uh, not a special plastic, but it wasn't the same plastic being used for like, uh, you know, ABS mold plastic for cults and shit okay. like that. The original REMS that he was hand making, I'm talking original run before he even got funding to really like a factory. Yeah. When yeah. you were setting in your foot size, like you're the, like you weren't useless so, like shape out your foot at first and then you'd make them based on that this yeah. is kind of what it was inspired by the freedom of feet concept because i went from skating cults and plastic booted skates to skating deshies and seeing the capabilities of like again and like shadows came out and i understood the concept of a shadow but deshies made more sense to me where it was like it is 
like K2, it's an all contained boot and you're not flexing two pieces. Like it's not a liner against a plastic boot that they're shifting going on. It's like all one piece that's being flexed. So your body motion is directly affecting like the kinetic motion of the skate. Like there's no, like, I have Similar to, to the shadow. Yeah. It's the, it's the thing. Like uh, they, they did that in the, the intro video for shadows. It's like when you flex your foot, the entire skates flexing. Yeah. Same thing with REMS in, I guess it was apprehensions or poetry emotion. There was actually a remedies ad and it was somebody, they did a rail and they come off the rail. And then there's a clip of them moving their foot like this in the skate. And it was just like freedom of feet. <laughs> I was like, yo, why can't I do that in my, in my, uh, in my Shimas? I can't move my foot like that in my Shimas. Like it stayed with me forever. So I told my dad, I have this in my head on how I could deconstruct <clears throat> and further like make the skate. My mom had a sewing machine. I was already actively making clothing and shit like jeans and all of this stuff. Like I was, I had to repair my jeans when I was like 13. My mom got tired of like repairing the, the crotches of my jeans. It was like thread a fucking needle and learn how to do this shit yourself. You know, like, so I was, I was able to make stuff and do stuff. All right. My wife, my wife just got home. I think Joey, you met, you met June at Lonnie's. Yeah, of course. Yeah. She's going to slide by. Hi. Oh. Hi. Hey, oh, the hair's looking great. Oh yeah, she's got. She just had hair the other day. She's got pink hair. We've been going through. You got pink pants. You guys are matching. Yeah. That's nice. Oh yeah, yeah. I got. We went to. Uh, it was her birthday on Friday. And uh, happy we birthday. To, yeah, happy birthday. I appreciate that. Um, we went to Forever Twenty One. Shout out to anybody looking to find good cheap fucking clothes and not pay ridiculous amounts of money aside from going to thrift stores i got these at forever 21 for like 19 bucks on the discount rack so yeah pink pants for the yeah, one you can come up on uh pants and like uh like button down shirts there sometimes like some of their like uh some of their like cotton stuff is a little cheap but the like the denims and like the yeah, button downs are pretty all right but yeah. Sounds good. So I got the sewing. I got the sewing machine. I'm already. I, I'm already aware of what uh, what it takes to make a pattern and apply the work to make it happen. Try it on. Fuck it up. Go through the trial and error and prototyping. And this is something where, as I say, like this is like a business plan. Like I had to tell my dad, like I need X amount of dollars, which isn't 400, but I might need like 150. You know, like I need. And at the time, my dad had an LLC that in a weird way, the place that I ordered the plastic from, you had to have like a company name. You had to have a company to like order mm. it from there. So my dad used his LLC to order me my first run of plastic. Uh, so like every, like everybody who liked my skates that I made in my skating during that time, like shout out my fucking dad and my, my mom as well. Cause it was my mom's sewing machine that made it happen. Uh, you know, shout out my fucking parents and everybody who says their parents supported their skating. You have no fucking idea how much my parents literally supported my fucking skating, dude. Like, told me, okay, like, if you find a way to, at raw cost, the supplies that they bought me, I was able to make, like, 10 pairs of fucking skates. Wow. So, For 150 bucks, you had that, there was that much there? But also, it was, like, prototype, it's a thing, like, prototyping and me going through, it was, like, maybe the fifth or sixth skate that I made was something where I was, like, this is something that I can pattern and reproduce, mm. you know, like I went through trial. I definitely went through trial and error. Um, Makes sense. 
And I went through numerous points of experimentation with uh, plastic supports and different materials for skins and things like that, that like basically in the beginning, I was using an old, like I had a Cific aligner, those really thin black, they were like black and it was white. Uh, like it's stitching. Say it again. With the the wrap over one. Yeah, yeah. With the like, yeah, like, uh, it was like a really, really like limited run of them. But they were they had like a, a what is it? Uh, yeah, they had like a little binding thing like over the feet where it like kept the whole tongue in place. But they were all black, and it says Sifica on the side of the foot, and there was a little bit of like white detailing, mm. but one of aside from like Solomon liners, they were like the thinnest liner that I'd found. And I had them for a while. Uh, because I was skating Deshi's. I actually at the time I was skating like a Bolino's old Spizer twos, the like gray green ones. He, oh, from like, him. Yeah. So the thing was like it neglected <laughs> truth. They had their used section. And one day Bellino just left his fucking shit, the, the shell there, like just the deshi, like no soul plate or liner in it. And I was skating like some other random deshi at the time or something that were really fucked up. And I walked into Neglected one day and it was like Kilgore and Majet were there. And like, this is a funny thing. It's like, I, I walked in and I was like, oh shit. And it was a weird day. Maybe I had just done something like yard work, like yard work, like uh, uh, mowing lawns or something that week because like, I needed new skates and I know I did. And like, I walked in and I had 60 bucks on me. And like my day, my day was already taken care of train and like travel wise. So I had like exactly $60 and the skates were $60. Perfect. So I hand $60 to Majet and Kilgore goes, wait, what the fuck? And he was like, hey, these are John Johnson skates. He was like 45. <laughs> so with that $10, I, me and my cousin, Brian, I don't know if you either of you ever met my cousin Brian Doherty that I skated with and shit. Uh, he was also like, he was just from a different area, but he was part of my crew and shit. Uh, me and him, like I ended up getting some weed and we smoked a blunt after that. I was like, yeah. So it was, <laughs> it was like, I, uh, I was skating those Pacific liners in those skates and I got to the point where I was like, all right, like, fuck it. This is the best pair of dishes I've had. There's no going back. I deconstructed those deshies. I deconstructed those like. Oh, so you got those after you'd already been making your skates? No, 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 no. I got those. I got those before, but that's, those are the skates that I deconstructed and that's ah. what led to like making them. I was like, this is the, the Spicer twos that were gray greenish with like white little things on them and shit. They were like really fucking solid skates. And so like, I like tried to mimic a few pieces of the pattern, but I already had my own skin design and like, I just got to it. And like I say, I experimented with different points of support and things like that to like, at one point I actually went to a fucking bitter cold uh, in, it was the one that was in Detroit. It was the first one at modern. And I went and I had a pair of skates. You like, you guys wouldn't fucking believe this. It was a remedies liner because I was trying to experiment with lower cut liner just above the ball of your ankle. And usually I'd have something a few inches above like standard liner height right around your calf. That's mm. like standard like, thing. But I was trying to experiment with like, is it necessary? You know, like almost speed skate style. Like, is it necessary if like my flex point is just above the ball of my ankle? Like, do I need anything more? So 
I got a pair of REMS liners and developed like, uh, at the time I developed basically what would have been like a REMS around that. Like I made a cuff support system. And so it'd basically be a thing like there would be uh, an internal cuff that I would be able to like uh, an internal cuff and footbed that would basically be like one piece. And I put a liner in it and construct a skin around that that could mm. be like attached to the bottom of the sole. Same way that you would. Uh, I actually have them. This is so weird because I have a pair of K2s and you guys have seen that I've been skating uh, that I got from Ben Pauling actually left a box of shit in Sergio Yabara's car one day at TNS. And so like I'm skating, I'm basically skating the same thing all over again. Wow. These, these are like deshies. So Whoa. what, what is this that? Is a K2, this is a K2 Bing Air. This is the yellow ones. This is like yellow. Oh. I just dyed oh. it black. So these are the K2 Bing Airs, but they came like uh, somebody had already stripped like a, the, the rivets out of them. So like the cuff and all of that could come off. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I never skated K2s to know that it was this close. Oh wait, so that's with the cuff removed? Yeah, this yeah, is all the plastic. Removed. Removed. So I'm like, I'm like confused because I've looked at K2s and I'm like, how is that? That's what a K2 looks like when you take off all the other shit on it. Yeah. So yeah. this, on my other one, I'm messing with it. This is like without the cuff, but with I the see, sole plate. I see it now with uh, the sole plate. Yeah, now it makes uh, sense. Uh, and then I have another pair because I, you know, somebody got it from OfferUp that's fully stripped. It doesn't have anything on it. Now, this is what my skates would have looked like on the bottom and shit. It's the same thing. So these are one, 125 cc's. All right. I see is, the bottom. Uh, okay. So it's just a flat bottom with like, like it's the way that like a deshi looks underneath. So like, yes. Yeah. So like yeah. this, but it's also with their sole plate, there's holes for wear on the inside. It was riveted and the adhesive for these motherfuckers was so strong like i had to use a fucking paint thinner and a few other things to get it off without damaging the boot itself yeah because i wanted to be able to preserve and like use these as like i've been talking with a few people about it. like i am going to make skates again but on a extremely professional like industrial sewing machine level uh and i have a few pairs of skates that i'm using as like prototypes i actually have um a pair that in trade, I got them from Justin Thursday, but I have a pair of Deshi Carbons, all black, that I was skating during the Socolo era. I still have those. But and wait, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the support when you remove the plastic cuff off the K2. Is there more I plastic in there? Did. So 125 cc's. I was talking to JB Snyder about this because he wrote, you know, he wrote for K2 forever and shit. Mm -hmm. He was like, uh, 125 cc's, like certain... K2 skates were budget skates, so they weren't made as well as others. And he said, he was like, you're skating the Bing Airs. Those are going to get floppy on you right away. And I was like, what are you talking about? I've been skating them for almost a month now. I have had, I have had no issues with flex, like a uh, warping flex where I put my skates on and they're automatically bowed. Like they've been straight the whole time. And then he said, he was like, wait, are those the ones with or without the cuff inside? And I was like, oh, these do. So, oh no shit yeah so all the way up to the top so and they just had an extra cup on there so it's a thing like there's an internal cuff support 
like Deshi's would have had. Yeah. And yeah. then they put on that sole like this. The sole with that extra. Oh, and the that sole, mouse. Just and I cut it sword. off, but like there, there would be the hump right there. And on the skate, you can see like this little circle right there. Yeah. You can see it with the light, but that's where like the cuff indent was. And yeah, there was just an extra cuff on all K2s. Now think about this. Well, I, that's kind of what's going on with the carbons as well. Exactly. So I have the Deshi carbons that don't have a cuff. And that's how it was like, that's how I developed my thing. Like Deshi carbons were made the same way Deshi's were. It's an internal support system that comes up just over the ball of your ankle and shit. And like this leading to, I went to bitter cold one time and I had a pair of skates that had no internal cuff. It was a REMS liner and two layers of duck cloth. I've heard legends of this. David Sizemore tried the skates on. And he was like, if this had support, I could see this making sense. But how the fuck are you doing switch ups, gaps, and all of this? Like, I'm concerned for your ankles. Oh, yeah. your skates, those. Or, the are ones that I took to bitter cold that were REMS liners and two layers of duck cloth, mm. two piece USD soles, uh, create originals and flat flat wheels on them like i showed up and i skated bitter cold and there's clips in edit somewhere of me in those fucking skates do you know what bitter cold year that was uh it was the first one at modern so i think it okay. was fifth 15 or something whatever the first one is it'll be yeah yeah it was bitter cold one at modern yeah there's at least one true zoo five to forward I know that there, I think Stefan or somebody was there and they filmed like there's definitely the long shitty box that everybody was sessioning. I have like Soyal, Alley Topsoil, Five Forward, because that's like, I could. That, that, that happens. I can do that in my sleep with my eyes closed. Like that's, that's one of those, like I've, I joke around like spinning. So this is the one thing, Taylor, the 12th and D box competition. Yes. You remember that? That is a that was a fun day. So like that I was like, those. yeah. So like there was one competition where I came up to and I was skating. I it was like shortly after that I ended up moving to Arizona. Oh, wild! So like that pair of skates was like I hadn't actually skated in two months prior to that box comp, <laughs> and two days before the comp I made those skates off of an old pattern and like put on a few new pieces and they had a buckle on them. That was the one big thing. I always had straps, but I was like, eh, I'll just throw a buckle on, you know, like. In and New York too, at those comps, you see a lot of weird Frankenstein skates, but yours were like, you were doing tricks and they were functioning. You're like, all right, well, he, he built them right. I don't know about everyone else. I know. But. And that what you're saying, you would see people, basically you see somebody in Tim's with soul plates kind of shit. Oh yeah. Shit like that. And yeah. Wild shit. Like, yeah. so like people, yeah, dude, I definitely seen at least one dude with Tim's over their fucking skate. Yeah. Like, yeah. Skin. Tim's, Tim's <laughs> over their Valos. And <laughs> Straight up, dude. Yes. I've seen it. I mentioned it. Cause I know I've seen it. So <laughs> that's one thing. So like, yeah, I, I made skates easily for, over five years because I started making them at 15 or 16 and I took the last pair of skates that I made with me when I moved to Arizona January 20th of 2012. Uh, I moved in with Sergio Ibarra in downtown Phoenix. 
he hit me up a few months prior and told, and I've so here's, all right, here's a bigger timeline. Uh, I'd been making skates uh, and I, as I say, back and forth with Philly, I linked up with a crew of kids from Rochester that were going to art school there. In Arizona? And, no, in Philly. And this is what would lead to me going to Arizona and shit. And like at this time, it's like I'd started making my skates right around meeting everybody. So Kyle Bartlett, Chris Troyer, um, and these are two people that only a few Philly people know about. His name was uh, Nick Micros mm-hmm. and Jeremy Theopolis. His uh, nickname was Musky. Jeremy and, Theopolis and uh, Troyer, Mike Troyer. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Troyer. Chris Troyer. Yeah, they so familiar. Yeah, so uh, that's the thing from Philly. Like Muskie was, they lived in like uh, the. They lived off like a uh, spring and garden, like by Cecil or some shit. And they filmed a lot. They were. It was a thing. Like they tried to get into the denial video, and that I had clips in the denial video. Which I one? The. the- the no rollerblading. Okay. Yeah, that, that was like the one montage. And that was like, I went out with them for like months and we filmed all the time and they were trying to get like a full edit put into the actual movie. And this is because they hung out with Kilgore and all of this. And like, it was like, they were trying to like, yo, like we film a lot of shit. You know, he actually filmed John, like Nick Micros filmed John's last clip for his section, no rollerblading on black beauty. That thing, uh, the rail that's like it has the sidewalk and then it's a black down rail sidewalk and then the street mm, yeah he does, he does a line where he goes fucking the first one he goes top acid on the jersey barrier to fakie and cruises fakie and then hops up forward onto the sidewalk alley top acid down down the rail cab out and then the next clip he goes he comes up forward fucking illusion like blind uh, goes fakie on the sidewalk, full cab, backslide alley, top acid, cab out. And he's wearing a blue denial shirt and the gray deshies that I ended up riding. Oh, shit. Oh, no so, shit. So all of these weird synchronicity points, it's like the crew that I linked up with that filmed that clip, that filmed my clips that ended up in the video, all of that. Like those guys from Rochester, uh, I linked up with all of them. And through Chris Troyer, who, like Kyle Bartlett, filmed a video called uh, No Food, No Water, No Tapes. And I had a section in that. And that was a really big deal for me. That was like my first like serious fucking section. Uh, They came down to Philly. He took me back up to Rochester. I stayed with them for fucking like a month and a half or some crazy shit, like almost a whole summer. And all this like little ass kid, like 16 or something, just up there on $30 in my pocket like scrounging together to get through day to day and skate and everything. Like, yeah, they like gave me my first opportunities to film and shit. Is that uh, online? No food, no money, yeah, no tapes. Yeah. Look it up. Look up. No food, no water, no tapes. There's like, there's like a part one and a part two and a remix section and shit. And like, there, it's really long yeah. and it's me with very huge hair. Long hair. Yeah. yeah that's how I met you. And you're skating, you're skating those, the handmade skates that I made. Yeah. I actually have like three or four different pairs of skates in that section because we filmed it over a long period of time. Like I have a pair of red skates, gray skates, black skates. Like I remember the red one. 
sure. Yeah, those ones. I remember sick. Those ones, everybody tried to make fun of them because it was uh, it was vinyl material that looked like a boxing glove. But <laughs> and then everybody rode the fucking SSMs when they came out. Like, yeah, buddy, SSMs all red skate. And I was like, I did this a decade ago, you fucking assholes. So well, there yeah. was also there was also uh, those red CH1s that came out around that time. Oh, yeah, well, that right? Vinnie Mitten rocked the fuck out of, bro. So yeah. like, so that's the other thing. So those red skates that I had and I made were inspired by Colin Kelso's all red McClouds that he painted and skated during the uh, Kelso Brothers Lost Tapes thing that's on YouTube. So like, it's all deep rooted, people. It's all calculated. <laughs> Everything somehow is related one way or another. All of this leading to like uh, Rochester guys. I linked up with Troyer. We filmed a lot. Uh, he moved after one of the bitter colds because Rochester did the slash and dash tour to Arizona every mm. winter for a few years. He went down there with them. He ended up staying down there and moved into the Tempe blade house. And this would be around 2010. He moved into the Tempe blade house with Ryan Daly, Luke Kimberly, Andrew Scherf, uh, and a few other people. And it was like right down hey, the from ASU. So like, that crew of people and he moved in with them and shit. Uh, I, I, I think he might've been there for like a year or so. And then I got a message and this is 2010 in October because I went from Halloween, like right before Halloween and I stayed for three weeks or something like into November. I got a message on Facebook from his at the time girlfriend. And she was like, hey, I want to fly you out as an early Christmas present to Troyer. He's been trying to finish his video that he's working on. And he talks about you all the time. Like, I would love to get Jeremiah down here to like skate some of the spots, like all the times and things that we've skated. It's like Arizona's made for him and shit. And like, I was like, dude, that's so weird. Cause I talked to him on Facebook and every now and then he'd be like, yeah, come down to Arizona. But it's like one of those, like, I'm glad to hear that I, you know, like a, a friend, a close enough friend like that is like, talking about me more than just, you know, you know, like me talking to him. So it's like me being mentioned. I was like, oh, and wow. You... Go ahead. Real quick. Yeah. That girl's a fucking real one. Yo, I don't know this is who literally... she is, but she's Yo, fucking awesome. My, my forever, like, in like, like eternally grateful and in debt to the fact that she messaged me. And I contacted her actually when I moved back here, this like last uh, back in 2000 it would be at the end of 2019 that we moved back here it was almost a decade to the exact fucking day that she flew like, you out yeah that she flew me out because we came like i touched down here in october me and my wife moved back here in fucking october on like october 31st are they <laughs> are they here. are they still together no no they <laughs> uh, after it was like after i'd moved back in 2012, uh, I think he'd already moved back to Rochester and they weren't together. Uh, huh. But they were together for a while before that and a little bit after. But yeah, she messaged me and said, I want to fly you out as an early Christmas present. And he talks about wanting to get a section of you. And it's just such a funny thing. Like, I was like, hell yeah, I'm down. Like, again, like you're saying, like, you're fucking real one for that. Like, shit. Like, I don't think Chris would have gone out of his way to contact me to be like, I really need you to come out and finish the section. And then when I came out there, I found out like he was drinking pretty heavily at the time and was mm -hmm. going through 
just what everybody does, you know, social changes in the scene and was trying to just keep up with it and just want it. It's the, the homesick thing. You know, I just need to like kick it with a fucking homie that I've skated and filmed with a lot and shit. So like I got out there and I got off the plane on a Thursday. She picks me up and he had no idea. This was like, he didn't even have an, 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 an inkling of an idea that this is going to happen. He was, they were getting ready to go to TNS. He was chilling on their couch, watching a skate video like this. <laughs> I walk in, I put my skates down over him, like on him kind of thing. And then I put down my book bag and I was like, so where's TNS tonight? And he was, he like went to say where it was and then looked back and like freaked out and jumped off the couch and shit. He was like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, dude, like fucking Rihanna flew me out. Like I'm here for three weeks and we went to fucking work, bro. Uh, there was, it was online for a long time. And a lot of people had watched that section and talked about like, that was a great section. And then I just talked to Troyer about it like a year ago when I got here. Cause I asked him, I was like, where the fuck is my section? You know, like, where is it? And he said, uh, because we used a fucking flock of seagulls song copyrighted uh, and they fucking, they took his whole account down because he had numerous yep. copyright infringement things. And then he, has, he has the section on a hard drive somewhere, but he had just moved last year. And he's like, it, it's somewhere, you know? And I'm like, I'm not pressed. I know that we did it and I know it exists. And it was during a great time of our lives. It's just like, that section was like, I made a really good pair of skates. I flew out. I filmed what I felt like I was like really coming into my own at that time. Like my style and like presentation of my skates and shit like that. I was like, yeah, like this is the direction I want to take things. And uh, I, just for reference, how old are you do, at this point? Like 20-ish, 21? Uh, so in 2010, uh, I was 18 when I went out there and filmed for three weeks. And then I came Yeah, that's a good back. time. Yeah, yeah and I, I, that's the thing. Like I decided, I was like, Philly's cool and all, but I'm out. And also John, had, like Bellino had already left. Uh, mm -hmm. He was, it was like, he was slotted to getting ready to leave with SSM and all of, or him yeah, at the time. time yeah and like he was about to go out to phoenix and you know i said like uh with him at the time like he was living with kilgore and shit like i talked to him because he went out i can't remember i think he'd maybe gone out before or something he was just talking about like yeah i'm gonna go to arizona uh so i was already in my mind like i'm following suit like it's the thing what i was seeing i was like uh genre is dead philly for that for that matter is dead right now and I am in the last generation of kids that was brought up in that scene that has a fucking responsibility to like make it or break it, you know, like uh, for whatever that's worth. It's like I was taught well enough by my predecessors and have had enough DAP, you know, like DAP sessions where it's like, good job. You know, like uh, I would feel that in conversation, solo and in group sessions that I've had with pros that I look up to that like the people that I look up to respect me in the same like you know field of like you do the same thing and you do it well that kind of thing so it's like I saw that like Philly's done right now Philly doesn't have anybody that's going to keep it that's like going to like immediately just like keep it going and I was sure. like yeah so I was like um for one that but two at that time like I was not in a creative mind space where it's like oh I'll pick up a camera or start a company outside of me establishing my skates like the skate thing for me was a big deal because as I say making them and 
putting going, so much time and effort into your own technique is like you're you're all in at that point you've made your I'd own also, skates, you know how to skate I dropped out of fucking school when i was 16 because at the time uh i was doing a lot of shit i was trapping weed and selling drugs to help pay my parents fucking mortgage i was making the skates and in turn with my uh you know what is now illegal like the the shit that i was doing there like a lot of people that i was meeting wanted clothes made and so like Mm. i told my mom like i'd rather make a thousand dollars this week instead of go to school what do you think and do you think i'm you think that two years and getting a diploma from these assholes is really gonna establish me being a smarter fucking person than you know like that kind of thing like do you think you think that piece of paper is, is, is gonna help me any farther than where I am right now I was like school didn't teach me any of the business tactics that I'm learning and shit like I actually would invest my time and energy like I had this really cool library in my town and there was this guy there and his name was he had initials F A Collins and he was the coolest fucking librarian and like I just I don't know what it was like, maybe it was that he was black and my mom was black and my mom was actually the only black person in our, our entire town, mm. other than, uh, I think on the other side of town, there was this family, like the Whittingtons and they were, they were, uh, all, you know, fully black, like uh, me being an interracial family saying fully black, it sounds like racist or something. But I mean, New Jersey has that, has that aspect though. A lot of the neighborhoods are like, it sounds weird to say, but it is like segregated areas of like New Jersey. Oh no, 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 no. 100% like South Jersey in. So this is a thing. All, it, all the goes, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, where I, where I moved to. So from where I lived in Pittsburgh, where I say it was like a shitty town, we lived in a super racist Italian you know, like Italian town. And we were the only interracial family to the point where we had our house one time when we were at church, um, spray painted with KKK, uh, go home. And I don't say the N word because y'all are both white. And unless we were black and I had consent from the other person, uh, I don't say that shit out loud. So like go home N word, et cetera, et cetera. Da, 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 da. Um, on our house one time we came home from church and then we went and visited when I was 14 and they burned our fucking house down when we left. Wow. Like my childhood the, home no longer. The house your dad stayed stayed and worked extra hours for, to get for you guys. Holy shit. Yeah, like the house, like the house that I was born and raised in kind of thing. Like, yeah, that shit, that shit isn't there. And then, so we moved to Collingswood and my, we lived with my grandparents for a few years. And that was in Collingswood and like my grandparents are Irish. It's, it's a predominantly Italian and Irish neighborhood. Hmm. And my mom being the only black person. And at that, my family within that town was like a very, well, I would say was at this point, um, a very respected family because my uncle Alex, rest in peace, who raised me while my dad worked his ass off because my uncle Alex had cancer and couldn't have kids. Uh, raised raised my family like we were his fucking kids. He was the town plumber. So All like right. my my grandpa was a special education teacher. My grandma worked for the uh, city of Philadelphia court system. She was a she was a typist and shit like that and a transcriber. A stenographer. Um, yeah, it's not. Um, yeah, uh, my my aunt 
both two of my aunts were teachers in Cherry Hill in New Jersey. My uncle is a teacher, uh, was a science teacher, is in uh, Philadelphia, one of those major schools. Your family my, is a big part of the co actual community. My uncle yeah. is a fucking commissioner there, mm. you know, uh, up until, and I like to point this out because I don't like my dad's side of the family. He was a drunk piece of shit my entire life. And he got in an accident and tried to call the, uh, call the head of police, you know, police chief. Like, let me, let me call in a favor, get me out of this situation. And the lady was already on the phone with the cops saying like, I just got struck at this light. And they were like, uh, you can't get out of this dude. Like you were drunk and you're driving, like you're getting a DUI and he ended up getting disbarred camp practice in New Jersey and shit. And I don't like my dad's side of the family. So anybody that wants to look that up, his name's Paul Doherty and he's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, he's a real, he's a real yeah, piece of shit. For all the things that my mom's family and other people have done, like I, I love my family and the things that they've done. My dad's family, when my dad died, uh, it's like twice over now. So my Pittsburgh home that I was raised in was burned to the ground. My home that I was raised in from nine until I was 20, after my dad died, uh, my dad's side of the family doesn't like my mom. They, I was ever so conveniently taking a piss, which is down the hall from my parent, my mom's room. My mom got a call from my aunt and they gave her an ultimatum that said, we like, you need to leave the house that you're in. We don't want you there. And you have two weeks to leave and you can leave willingly with, we'll give you $5,000 and pay for moving trucks. Or you can try and take this to court or something like that because my dad I guess had paperwork with my grandparents' realty company that like technically bought the house that we lived in and my dad paid my grandpa back. The second my dad died, my grandparents destroyed all of the paperwork and kicked my mom out. And so in 2015- So on paper, your grandparents had like the deed. Yes, more or less. and basically said it well, doesn't exist and get out. So. I've been back and forth. I moved to Arizona in 2012. I moved to California in August. So I moved in January 20th, 2012. I moved to Arizona with Sergio. And then in August, through a series of very weird situations, and thanks to Devin Stewart, um, whose little brother is Zathan Stewart, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's, he's my fucking brother and literally uh, changed the course of my life in 2012. We got in a very weird situation where we got pulled over while we were traveling to California and we all caught weed charges and oh, shit. Um, at that time, it's like so fucking intense. We were actually in a county where uh, the town next to it, like La Paz County, y'all know this, like Sheriff Joe Arapaio with Tent mm -hmm. City. We got we got pulled over there in that county and it, I can't make this up. My, our judge's name, me, our homie, Andrew Johnstone, my brother, uh, Devin's dad was a lawyer. So Devin got out of the situation. Mm. Uh, but us three, we show up to court. Our judge's name was Judge Slaughter. And I have a That's picture on Facebook right outside of the town. When you have to go from Salome to La Paz County, there's a sign that says you're now beyond hope because there's Hope County, but your is spelled Y-O-U-R. <laughs> What a fucking, oh. wait, wait, this is in Arizona? This is on the border. 
this is next to Blythe. Blythe is the county like borders like, you know, that and into California, like it's Blythe in California or something like that in Arizona. It's like uh, Salome or some shit like that. And like, yeah, we got pulled over like literally 45 minutes from the border highway robbery style. And they like kind they took most of our weed. They left us with weed and all of this shit. And like inadvertently, we were going out there to stay with his family because we had been working doing landscaping in like a crazy situation where like his parents saw the work that we did and we're like, if you guys want to like come out here to California and maybe like live in the RV and get jobs like at a grocery store or something like you guys just worked really hard in Arizona. We were doing shit for like community centers out here. We were doing landscaping for, um, there was a strip here called fifth street and it had, it was like, community owned and operated houses that are zoned for like venued for business so it's a house but you can run a business out of it and there was like a 24-hour cafe a bar next door called lost leaf the spot called nacho bots that did nachos from midnight until 3 a.m only for drunk people and shit so it's like a little strip of the street like we basically me devin stewart andrew johnstone and my brother matt doherty did all of the landscaping work that was responsible for the upfacing and uplifting of like the facade that got the place Joe bots its liquor license and shit like that. Like we like did things that like we were doing all this work as the inspectors are coming by and looking at, you know, they're, they're evaluating, is it worth me throwing down a few million dollars in this? Now, if y'all look at fifth street on Google maps, it's, it's like they built, they've built, high rise uh, shit for students and all of that shit. Like not a single place aside from Lost Leaf, the bar still exists there and shit. So like- oh, So all that, like those like uh, the houses are gone now and they're all just- Yeah, a majority like, of them are gone and like they're building- Damn, that's tough, man. So it's like- I me, love those like little yeah. uh, like, houses are zoned were, that way. So fun. So, so it's like when I came to Arizona, uh, John Jenkins was doing the Revolution 90 Seconds. He was at the tail end of those. Uh, we were doing all of that. Right around Wake Up. I actually, wake up. yeah, he did the Wake Up and like I grommed out about the Wake Up to him. And it was one of those like, yeah, I like the Wake Up, but I'm doing better stuff now. So probably, please don't bring it up that much. <laughs> but me and Jenkins are actually really, really like that's another, he's a person who's like my brother and really helped me when I got here. Uh, he gave me a job like some people know about it, like uh, through Blake Sandifer's company doing the photography for the fucking dance recitals. And uh, he got me a job as good money for weekend work. It's funny uh, you mentioned his uh, his opinion of wake up because it's like after he made that, those 90 second edits are like wildly different, like, uh, wildly different stylistically. They're like really intense. Uh, and that's one thing that like some people sleep on the fact that that motherfucker before Thrasher, before all of that yeah he was really in it doing it not necessarily in fly a lot of people are influenced by skateboarding i was there you know i i was there smoking blunts and spliffs and me and this motherfucker having contests on who can roll the best inside out and burn the motherfucking you know like burn it out to burn off the light the double light like me yep. and, me and Jay, yo we'd have competitions while we were making edits and like me sitting down and like watching him edit shit for the conference and do the 90 seconds and shit like Jenkins is literally like one of the best videographers that rollerblading has seen. And unfortunately the revolution situation and what John, uh, 
James Johnson did uh, because I was there for the entire thing at the, at the complete crumble of it. Uh, I completely support Jenkins stepping away from rollerblading and pursuing his interest and career more professionally in other facets because he is an incredible, he knows how to use an in camera, a camera in any right film video. Like he just knows how to do things very well. And he is a visionary in his own right uh, and having worked with him. And all right, so here, what, I'm gonna give y'all the juiciest piece of skate shit y'all might ever hear right here. I don't know, man, that's pretty good. I hear some good shit nowadays. All right, so I got, I'm gonna light the blunt for this one. Let's do it. Man. I don't think that you guys are ready for this, but in 2012, when I was living in Arizona and I was working with Jenkins doing the photography jobs, uh, I had started talking with Jenkins about like, I want to do my skate shit super serious. Like I want you to shoot a promo edit. Like I want, I want this to be like, I want to like, I'm going to invest in the gear that I need. Like I was making good enough money off this job. And at the time I was living with Sergio, our fucking apartment that me and him were splitting was 420 bucks a month, like 425 a month. So That's like nice. in a weekend with Jenkins, I was making three, four and $500 and shit. Like it was, it was literally, it was a joke. So like, it, and it's like where we were living was right outside of fifth street, like right off. It, it was great for where I was. I started telling Jenkins, like, I'm going to invest in the equipment that I need to make my skates. Cause like to ship all my shit out here from the East coast would be pointless. Uh, not going to do that. Like, I'll just, you know, buy the shit out here. And we started like devising a few things. He was telling me like, well, revolution is wrapping up. Um, we're going our different directions with what we want to do. And like, this is so crazy. We had this job lined up in Arkansas. And he tells me, I'm like, I still like, I run this in slow motion in my head, dude. Cause this is like one of the greatest moments of my life. Uh, he tells me we're going to go out there and meet Jacuzzi. And I was like, yo, Andrew Jacuzzi is like, as far as like style shit, I got the handful of people that's like jacuzzi skates like me kind of thing. Like we, we know who, that we skate like Colin and shit. Like we know who we skate like. I was like, yo, jacuzzi, jacuzzi up there. So I get to go kick it with him and pick his brain. I was like, yo, this is the shit. Like this is gonna be fucking sick. But then he like sits me down and John, I don't give a fuck if you're mad about this because the world needs to know. Uh, he was like, this is actually in part a business meeting with jacuzzi. Um, we are going to take over M1 wheels. M1 that used to have Frankie and Aragon and they came up with the dual durometer fucking I remember that. Shit. Yeah. So M1 just, they were selling shit, but they had no team direction. And Jacuzzi, rest in, roll in power, rest in peace, Keaton Newsom. And Jacuzzi, we're going to go into business together and take over M1. And we went out to Arkansas for a job 
doubled it over and stayed with jacuzzi and it was literally like i went outside to smoke a blunt and because i wasn't like i would have been on the back end like uh i would have been on the team uh i was sitting outside of the door as the business meeting was like happening for them attempting to acquire the tax information and etc for the company they're trying so, to like buy the company they were gonna they were gonna like purchase and run m1 like they were going to see if it was viable to purchase and run m1 okay and the thing behind this though was because jenkins is from florida and has filmed with and is friends with frankie and frankie was already on m1 he goes yeah. we have this idea we're gonna have two teams and jenkins would have marketed this fucking perfectly we're gonna have like the like rocker team and we're gonna have the like rap team but it's not gonna be based on color at all that's not even something that comes up he's like it's basically like you quentin lamb mike lilly and people like that would be on the rap team okay and 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 uh you know uh frankie and shit like that but then on the rock team it would be like keaton and jacuzzi, jacuzzi and other people like on that side and it would have been marketed around what people have made niche markets out of over time like uh the the motherfucking sons of anarchy wave of ssm when everybody found out that you know bike biker gangs still exist and like they were like shit it's cool to dress like i mean shima was in oakland so i can't say like you're from oakland but shima was like all right it's cool to dress like this and this shit feels and looks good so let's do that like everybody goes through waves but yeah there was a talk about having that happen and i was like on jacuzzi's porch smoking a fucking blunt while they're like talking about it and it ended up being that like the dude who owned m1 i feel like his name was wally or some shit like he didn't want to come up off the tax information and he didn't really want to like i guess let them know how much could be made or was being made at a height of like m1 functioning or something mm. um, and i guess also a few things just with like investments etc that things just like wouldn't have come together if everything didn't you know unless every star aligned it wouldn't have come together but that yeah. was really like, and it was also like at the time, Mike Lilly had just, he had come down and filmed that uh, 90 seconds earlier in that year. Mm. So like, it was this thing where like, we're going to get Mike Lilly back out and shit like that. And like, we're going to cut like in, in a weird way, like we're going to try and coincide this with me talking with Jenkins about like, I want to release my skate. And like, mm. what if we did this thing? And I had, I had this sick ass idea. I was like, I'm going to release a skate and my first skate will be all white. And I'm going to do this thing called white lines. Like it'll be to the song white lines just because the song is really good, but I'll only skate uh, white. I'll, I'll paint spots if I have to, but I'll only skate white spots. And the way that Jenkins shoots, I had this thing. I was like, yo, we'll shoot this shit like prime Arizona times for each clip. But like, I will only wear primary colors. Well, that sounds cool. Oh, like getting a shot that's really orange or something like that and wearing all red so that it like almost blends into the entirety of the shot or yeah but this gets like pop super extra yeah like making a, a shot that's like midday that's like super sunny and yellow and like there's a lot of reflection going on wearing all yellow or the nighttime shots 
here and a lot of the buildings have like blue metal and shit. Like, I was like, so like thinking about midnight blue and shit like that, like finding, and it wouldn't be like only limited to primary colors, but that's how the idea came up. Like it would be based around monochrome style. Like my skates wouldn't have numerous colors or any highlights and my clothing wouldn't be logoed or anything. It would just be, and at the time period, I was like, now nah, I'll make my own fucking clothes and then uh, batch dye them. So I have three and four of each set that I'm going to wear. So like, you know, God forbid we go out and film in an all white outfit and I almost lace a sick fucking clip, but I ruin my pants or something like that. And yes, presentation of clips, uh, Jeff Howard be pushing the line wearing white pants and putting out clips where he'd be landing and half of his pants are black. <laughs> if you're going to wear white pants, you got to do it right, bro. That's on some, that's on some, uh, Dylan reader shit. Rest in peace, man. What you do you think about fight. paint splatter guys, guys that are working with paint a lot and they show up to the session. They got like paint all over themselves. No go. Uh, is rollerblade and paying your bills? No, I guarantee that paint job is. So I don't give a fuck what you did prior to coming to the session. As long as you're not getting paint on the ledge and paint on me. And like so, that kind of thing. I don't give a shit, bro. I, that's all. I don't give a fuck what anybody wears. So you're developing this idea. And as this is as revolution, you kind of know it's about to stop. Like, and this seems like it affects a lot of the community. And that makes sense. It was such a huge part of the Arizona scene. For a while, like for 90 seconds and basically it was just like fuck you and that's why my clips got put into the raw dailies wait say, say that one more time i was slotted like to have a 90 seconds mm. and basically it was just like all of the effort and things that were going on like james was just like yo fuck everybody like i'm out like i'm not we're not doing 90 seconds anymore and all this shit like well, I mean, he was running out of money. It was like no longer viable to like run a store. For oh, no, no. I, again, there are a lot of things that, and me being here functionally in the scene, going to the TNSs with James Johnson there, like the conversation oh, he's, had. He's I'm like, there. I don't fucking blame. I don't, you know, I don't place blame on any single person. I just talk about seeing what I saw between their relationship as it's like the triangle, the owner, the filmer and the skater you know, like, and how all of us are making something that in turn benefits the other person, you know, like at one point it was just like, uh, this isn't going to benefit the situation for any of us to be investing our time and energy in it. And so yeah, once one piece of the puzzle gets messed up then it like, it ruins the whole triangle. Like, and this also does go to Jenkins and me, things like just talking about like levels of professionalism and wanting to be wanting to uh, be taken more seriously. Um, let's see, is there, is there, are there any like, we're about an hour in, is there any like uh, specific point stuff that you guys would like to talk about uh, before? You hit on like a bunch of things that I wanted to talk about, like okay. almost without me having to ask. So it's been good, like. Yeah, moving through this timeline has been fun. Uh, no, like, I tried so to like, the dates kind of lined up so we're we're around 2012 right now and that's where just, are, are you so kind of getting ready to move to are you, are you getting ready to move to california yeah. yes yeah so this is all we, so this would be things with jenkins and like all of that m1 didn't work out and weren't going to come together fast enough uh haitian had just come through 
earlier in 2012 or like right before the beginning of the year and filmed the Mary Jane edit. Mm -hmm. And um, like when I got there, like Malcolm and a few of the people were still like Saban shit. They were still like bouncing around and staying at people's houses. And then like Dylan, Malcolm, Bina and somebody else, like they went out to Cali to find the Death Guy Manor. Mm. And like Saba, Jonah, uh, Travis, uh, who else? It was like Tim and then just like all like yeah. Well, well, no, they. they uh, well, what ended up happening was Saba, Jonah, and Travis ended up staying behind mm. and stayed in Arizona and basically lived with me and Sergio like in our living room. Crazy. So I became really close friends with Travis, like me and him talking about skating and our views on skating and all of that shit and just, you know, smoking weed and just being homies kind of thing. Like me and again, like me and Travis Rhodes, uh, and I say points of relativity and style. There's like a literal like handful of people where I'm like, and it's funny cause like I'm talking to you two and you guys both are from the same area that I came from, but it's like you two fall into that field of like, you guys have put out sections where it's like, y'all know how to fucking skate. I haven't really seen like whack, whack section, like whack style kind of thing. So I don't know how to say it. Thanks. Certain, certain people don't have good style. Travis does know. though. Travis has got Travis, the, it's, Travis, it's got mean. That, Travis, Travis mean. has the, the vision, man. He, he sees it the, the way that I look at it. I don't and it's know. The thing. So like everybody, I feel like certain people that I'm talking about, it's like, uh, it's almost like the Sagona to Latimer thing. It's visible who I am uh, actively imitating and trying to take from, but it is in a visionary form to like that, that direction is going to lead me closer to self kind of thing. Like uh, the thing about Colin's style that made sense to me. And then it's like in reverse studying, I found out and watching older videos, Abdale was balancing his weight distribution with the arm way before Colin. So there's actually a clip where I feel like Colin, you know, like this, it was in, I want to say the movie was like Transcender Respect or something like that. And it's on these Cali ledges, like the really low ones and like at a beach or something, but it's a bunch of them in a line that Rob Lovanos does the back royale, hurricane, back royale, hurricane, back royale, those low ones. So it's Abdel skating those and he goes fakie and then med step. Like he steps forward on his right foot, jumps into true soul cab out and lands with his arm and his back arm perfectly wrapped. Perfect pace. And then the whole thing. forward, you know, kind of thing like, hell yeah, I know I just laced that. And then does it to uh, true porn cab out locked pops to forward with the wheel up and shit like that. And I'm like, the waiter, the, but see, that's people say waiter arm, but you the thing that I've furthered is you guys have to understand it's like uh it's this thing that people don't realize. It's almost like a magician or someone performing on stage, bowing after doing something that is like the, the way that I see it that may not be interpreted that way. The waiter arm comes because you just see you see it more often. But think about, as I say, think about art and style outside of rollerblading. It's like a momentum bow. It's like you can you you bow with your momentum to the point where it would take you, but then you don't. 
and then it comes it comes to think about where Colin brought focus and attention to things with this means that I'm balanced. This means that I am fully, you know, this means that I landed the trick the way that it's supposed to be done. And you can apply that right or left arm to any variation. And even if it's the thing that people do, it's like what I would say, putting the arm in the wrong place. Like if you come off of a trick where it should be natural flow that your arm is wrapped right, but you land the trick and you're, you're, you know what I mean? Still, still not fully still, postured into the other. Um, I would say, I would say things like, if you think about it, like a, a Bellino forward seven, there are a lot of them where he lands, where it's like, a, it's a natural momentum landing. But if you apply the early Colin Kelso, like waiter arm style rules, it goes against what it is. So coming down in rotation, like coming down in rotation, it would be like natural that you land like this, like that's like, like, yeah, like that kind of, like, it's just natural that you would spin. But he, Bolino lands so far that he over rotates and lands on all of them and then has to come back. Yeah, it is like reverse. Now, I love that because it shows this thing where even before he leaves the ground, he knows that he's almost purposefully over-rotating so that he's 100% landing forward instead of somewhere he does the bio seven, like the under scoop seven that he does, like the rocket almost where he comes in and he's like, he's under-rotating on the 540 and like coming into it. You see him when he skates park. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Off like, but, but like, with the seven, it's two full rotations, and then he uses like that strong fucking core to stop it, which is insane. And that's, like, the thing that's definitely not how it's done. And it is, it's all hips and chest and shoulders where it's coming in, but he stops it at his shoulders, and then it comes. It's like I learned this from Cheshire shoulders and hips are the most important pieces to worry about placement because obviously everything else falls in line under that. So as long as, uh, also, the other thing that's like Colin and shit, as long as your elbows are lined up with your hips, so like crouching kind of thing, Colin is really fucking good with crouching and having his elbows at his knees, uh, which people don't really, I think, pay attention to. It's like if Colin is really into his shit and like fakie into something, Colin will be so far down before something. But like it's not uh, I always it's a thing if you notice it, like where are someone's elbows if they use waiter arms? If they use a 90 degree angle, where is their arm placed? Is it at the waist? Is it lower than their waist? How often when you're landing a trick, does someone have to like Cheshire over compresses and pops? So when he lands fakey, he'll land super low, but then pop forward and have no arm movement. Like Cheshire's thing with landing is that like he may land like a, a topsail to fakey using the right arm wrapping but it'll be this like high arm where it's like this like it'll be like topsail and then landing and then the dropping where it's like yeah i don't have anything beyond that colin has a longer hold like almost three to five seconds before and after every clip to where it's like you see colin coming up and it's okay i'm here i have my general muscle memory for the trick and then when he comes off I have it studied. There is a general range of motion where he has his arm placement is dependent upon his body motion and the spin mm. 
or lack of spin coming off of a trick. So like studying style in that way kind of thing is where uh, I can see where me and Travis talked about. It's like a uh, farmer for Travis is uh, is a very just direct and openly. You can see the influence. Mm. Uh, the negatives. Fucking, oh yeah. And, and just in general, again, his approach to skating, the negatives, the, I mean, Jesus, Travis is again, one of these, these people were in his own too. He's got his own thing going on too. Oh, it's like sure. there's maybe a farmer started him, but then he took his own. That's, that's what I mean. And like, uh, that's where, uh, true artistry is represented where Sagona may have skated like Latimer for a time period, but then there's, undefinable like or, or undeniably like that is Sagona yeah it's like, not Latimer skating and I would say that you can tell the difference between Sagona's second regime sell your soul to roll section and his uh gold skate promo in Barcelona now think about artistry and presentation from one to another down to like uh, Dominic Sagona is a fucking DJ and was using uh, a Nero song for his thing where it was like all of it in entirety is being presented on more of a front than my clips are here and the, the editor is going to choose the song that they think fits because that's what they felt good editing to that night. Yeah, it felt more like him, his, his promo, his vision, his style. And that's, and that's uh, a lot of people have that over time where you can tell where the style came from but i like to anytime that i start overthinking rollerblading or politicking too much it's the remove self from self thing like i start to look at rollerblading uh, as an artist or uh, as a musician or as an athlete that's the greatest way to look at it i just had this conversation with a few people about the politics of rollerblading rollerbladers are expected to um, wear product and promote companies via physical exertion and harm to their body that is not covered by health coverage or any kind of foresight into the future of um, y'all know that there's like a actual like it's like diseases that develop over time from like it's like a cranial thing from like you know how we do gaps all the time well like the small concussion thing Mm -hmm. like develops over time and like you can really fuck your brain up from like just knocking your brain around so uh think about a football player who constantly uh has physical that's the only other sport where i can think that like they are constantly on a daily basis of practicing mm -hmm. experiencing physical exertion and um body like a body contact that brings harm to your body like your body hitting the ground when you fall especially your weight falling off of something is the same as someone relative to your weight running into you, you know? So yeah. like when I think about injuries and longevity and skating, uh, if I start thinking about like, Oh, this is especially like a style and skating. Like I would love to skate in a different style than I do. I wasn't raised in the era of skating to feel comfortable doing 450 Royales and shit onto like, I don't, I don't think you need to man that most recent thing you did on the uh just you skated a ledge yeah that's that, was that's, the whole that. Point. that's the whole point i would rather any day of the week and it's some silly shit take a handicap rail or a ledge i want to talk to you a little bit about filming with uh i don't know his name right i i only know him as Ryan Buchanan. 
Ryan McMahon. Ryan Buchanan. Oh, Ryan Buchanan. Oh, I, I don't know yeah, why. He's, he's the same person who did Creep and uh, You Become a Monster. Yeah. And everything for Chad, all of his VODs and all of that. Yeah, he's the one who does all the TNS stuff and has done all those TNS edits even since way i mean he's archived a lot of the posts but like for a year and a half like because he he stepped out of skating i know he has a kid uh he stepped out of skating for a little bit and when he came back he was like right back to filming tns edits and shit like that and like for easily a year and a half before i moved back to arizona was doing tns edits and like doing shit with chad and all of that so yeah it, you become a monster was his like he did that as his like my last video and he actually they finished filming that right when i got out here in 2012 they were like okay. wrapping up the filming for that devin stewart was wrapping up the filming for uh evil never dies that travis road has a section and you can find that shit online and that is an incredible video and then that's Ryan, how i found out about bina oh yeah bina has a section in there yeah yeah, yeah that, was, that was my introduction to Bina, and I lost my shit when I saw yeah. the extra section. Yeah. yeah, that extra section blew my fucking mind. Honey so, baked came out before that, though, right? I don't you think so. Yeah, honey baked. Yeah, honey baked came out before because in 2012, I haven't even seen honey before that. Honey baked came out before. Yeah. Hold on, honey baked came yeah. out before because in 2012 they filmed uh, Mary Jane. Yeah. And then so, Evil Never Dies came out after Mary Jane, right? A little bit? Yeah. yeah. It came no out way. in, uh, so if I came out in January, it came out in like March or something like that, like right before my birthday, right around my birthday or something like that, because there was a big argument about me coming into the crew and the scene, and they had been filming Evil Never Dies for a long time. And the whole, everybody, like Bina wasn't there, but it was like Zathan, uh, Travis, Devin, uh, Sergio, and a few other people apparently had this conversation one day that was like, Jeremiah hasn't been here long enough to be in the video. So his section worth of clips aren't going in Evil Never Dies. And then Devin, like, after he told me that, I was like, okay, that's not a kick in the dick. Uh, I'm going to take this personally and not say it to anybody. And like, you're just going to take me to every spot that I tell you to take me to. And I'm going to fucking rinse all these assholes. And my throwaways section, if you look up Jeremiah Doherty throwaways that Devin Stewart filmed was like me on a motherfucking headhunting mission to like, oh, like you y'all didn't want to put me in the video. I'll just out clip all of you. And the last clip, the 180 over the fucking rail into the street, he said he took all of the Haitian mag crew there and everybody, including Bina, everybody said, I'm not doing that gap. I did that shit first try three times in a row for three different angles didn't fall once. So that's my kind of shit. Like I came into Devin's crew kind of thing and like linked up with them and became really good friends with like Travis and Devin and shit. And it's just the, in general, like I'll skate anything you put in front of me and I'll also smoke more weed than anybody there. So everybody loves that anytime I come around. So like, yeah, that is a fact. You do smoke a decent amount of the old pot. <laughs> I mean, shit, you know, once I, I moved know. to Cali, I started growing weed. So that's another thing, like rollerblading's cool and all, but rollerblading. Yeah, so what, like just real quick, what brought you to Cali? You're growing weed in Cali. What, what uh, brought yeah, you? so that's actually what brought me to Cali when me, Devin, 
me, Devin, Andrew, and my brother got those charges. Me and my brother actually had to go stay at Devin's family friend's house. And it was this guy, his name was Dan. And he had, he was a shaman and he had a fucking backyard that was a rainforest in the middle of Arizona. He had uh, kumquat trees, nectarine trees, peaches, bananas, shit. Uh, he had birds from all over the world that would fly there to nest there because he had the correct correlation of like plants and shit. Uh, he had his own oasis? Yes, he grew weed, he grew everything. My brother actually has a Tumblr page where a lot of this is documented. Uh, I can't remember the name for it, but yeah, we went there and he, his house was registered through Arizona as an outdoor university. So he was one of the first people to legally grow outdoor weed for medical use. And this is where you ended up. I was one of the people who helped grow it. Yes. So sick. I ended up, and this is where it gets crazy. We were there apprenticing, you know, like we came back, we explained the situation and he was like, uh, yeah, I'd love for you guys to help. Like in exchange for, you know, like apprenticeship, like you guys can stay here and we'll work towards enrolling you guys in the school and get, getting you guys a fucking degree in permaculture. So that was the idea. Uh, we start working there and then one day, um, Two people come by. Uh, he tells us, he tells me and my brother, shower, shit and shave, get all dressed up and everything. We got two super important people that are linked to Jack Herrer coming by. Okay. And so for anybody who knows enough about weed and smokes weed, Jack Herrer is one of the most important uh, physical movement members in getting medical and now what you all benefit from recreational weed uh, into the eyes of the government and public and into the forefront of California. And uh, nobody would be smoking weed on the level that they are smoking weed now had it not been for Jack Herr. So open up a Google tab. And uh, do search. Yeah, see, so now get this, Joey. The two people who came by ended up being, uh, geez, I hate saying this, rest in peace, Patricia Stewart. She just passed away um, back in December uh, from cancer complications. Um, and her daughter who I dated, uh, while I was living in California, like everybody that knew me out there when I was living in, like, I was living in Beverly Hills, like actually up in the Hill, like I was close to Mulholland drive, but they came by and they said, we want what's being done here in Dan's yard done to the property in Beverly Hills. And we want uh, not only to grow weed, but food, et cetera. And Dan basically gave us the blessing and go ahead. Like we sat down and had this really serious meeting. He was like, I trust these two, you know, to like live and apprentice at your house. You know, like I, I'll let these guys. Also, we were in the middle of doing a huge run of exotic. We, we were doing like grape ape and all of these things were like, we were growing an outdoor run of things there that we didn't want to leave. Like me and my brother were learning so much on our first wave of like learning how to grow. And my brother learning way more than me. Uh, just like, I mean, it's, I, that's one of those things like at the time, my brother was just so fucking into it. And like, is your brother still would, doing it now? My brother actually, it's really crazy. I'm smoking weed that my brother gave me. Uh, he grows for true infusion 
Shout out Shit Infusion. I kind of figured that's both him and my little brother Jake, who play like plays in my band that some people know of, like plays in Sands. And some of you guys may have met Jake at random competitions. Like he'd come and hang out. Uh, He has a fucking bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake, yeah, Jake. He grows. They both grow out here in Arizona. So oh, sick. sick. So it's like a weird thing. Me and my older brother, um, we go out to Beverly Hills and we started growing there. And I started dating uh, Patricia's daughter, Rio, and was on and off with California. Uh, And that's where I I mentioned earlier, my dad's health being on a steady decline. uh, In, let's see, so I moved there August of 2012. Year had passed by, 2013. I got a call from my parents and like, I was going through some shit as well, but I got a call from my parents and they were like, you know, like, if you can like come home and help take care of dad, like Matt, uh, let's see in January of 2012 going into in December, you know, going into Mm -hmm. January of 2013, my brother, Matt went back to, dance to continue apprenticing mm. and i stayed in beverly hills and was living with rio alone uh, and during that time period um i want to say maybe april or something like that like right around the summer my brother got a call and was like you need to come home and help your dad like he is not doing good so matt left before me like maybe two months ahead of me and he went back then i came back and it was one of those, like, I had to come back with all of the knowledge that I had just been sponging while in California about health and all kinds of things. I mean, like, I was doing a lot of uh, marijuana stuff. I mean, everything about oh, California, no, going, um, but uh, like in general, the whole idea of like California culture going back to New Jersey is like a hard so flip. Ex- exactly. And so it was a thing like I had, uh, I would, I would consider it like, I had to go through a very fast period of deconditioning and decompressing because the Rio who I was dating, she was already very psychedelically advanced uh, into that walk of life and understood certain things that were going on, like with me and health and my family that like she was able to help via this is how you handle this situation and not like, oh, I did mushrooms. I get this. I mean, like the world and people that her family had at disposal. Like I was doing ozone treatment therapy, like a uh, breathing clean O3 gas and thing. Like I was, I had a lot of shit. I was doing a lot of stuff within just the first year I was there. I was doing um, organ cleansing through this thing called Dr. Schultz who functions out in California, uh, has a spot in Marina Del Rey, I wanna say. And it's like a health food place uh, not health food, but like health tinctures and all of this. I was doing like kidney, bowel and liver cleanses, like two weeks straight, only, uh, juicing, like no salts, fats, or sugars. Um, only eating fresh organic fruits and vegetables, making potassium broths during that time period. So you didn't, uh, get that. Like I'm losing weight. I feel sick. I'm having an electrolyte dip. I feel like I might have a seizure things where when people go to drastically cleanse for the first time in their life, Mm. they say, I could never do this regularly. This isn't something I could practice. It's like, I'll do this once a year for maybe a week. And that's me being healthy. 
this is like, I started doing this. Like I did this four times in one year, took a full two week break. Didn't smoke any weed. Didn't smoke any tobacco. When you got back, when you got back to New Jersey or like when you no, were in this California? is the first year that I was in California and okay. I started telling my mom about this and she was like, please come back and help us do this here. And so in 2013, in September, I came back to the East coast for a year and a half because I came back in 2014 and so when I left, this is the weird thing. And this will now propel us into like almost current time. When I left and like, yeah, I was growing weed and doing all of that. Um, right before I left, I linked up with Jeff Lynette and Circolo. And okay. Joey, when, we, when you called me to talk about doing this interview, you, you know, you like, you, you hushed me, you hushed me up on this when I, when I brought it up. And you were like, we can't do this right now. Uh, at the time, I was shopping around sponsors and I was trying to find a boot company to ride for. And also all during this time period, I don't even like doing it because like, I don't even like mentioning this because like, I just don't like hyping up companies anymore. I was one of the first three American rollerbladers to be shipped and ride kaiser power blades and for those who know and watch the edits me and derek stanton and rest in peace ben karras who was a functioning rollerblader writer and photographer out in this scene uh me derek and ben shot a series of three edits two edits something like that but we did a series of edits for the site called the b-roll which they put together and i did a park edit and I did a pool edit. The park edit was me riding 80 millimeter power blades and these weird ass skates that me and ne like Nemo found them on eBay. And they were these weird plastic skates that kind of looked like M12s, but they were like, they were like on eBay, they said plastic ice skates. So like me and him had them. And there's actually uh, the Haitian mag house box edit. If y'all go yeah. look that up, the skates that Nemo is skating in that are the skates that I'm talking about. Like I had oh, Those skates are super weird. Uh, he was skating them with the Nim soles and the yoga yeah. pads. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a picture of them on my Facebook somewhere and I put like Darth Vader as the setup or something, you know, like <laughs> uh, they were great, really weird skates, but I was power blading. Go ahead. He's going to the bathroom. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so you're skating. So I was I was power blading before power blading. Richie Eisler and Dustin Werbeski were the only two other people power blading. And Britt Myslinski, Dr. Britt Myslinski, put some respect on his name. That motherfucker just became a doctor last month. Sick. Congratulations, Britt. Yeah, Britt is a fucking, he, he's a staple Brit. in the Arizona scene and is, is part of like uh, Devin Stewart uh, and all of those guys you know, friend group. And he's actually one of the first people when I came out here, he was like, dude, I loved your Chris Troyer, Arizona section. Like you skate so uniquely and like, I, I you know, in such a unique way that, you know, I'm happy you're out here now. Like, I hope we get to skate together and hang out. And, you know, he's one of those people where he, he messaged me uh, when everybody's posting videos, uh, his graduation was a live feed. And I sent him a message. I was in tears. I was like, dude, like you're a fucking doctor. 
Like I've done a lot of shit over the last eight years, but it wasn't to get, you know, a doctorate degree. He's one of these people who will undoubtedly use it for good. You know, like he's just, he's such a cool kid. And uh, yeah, so Britt actually got a pair of power blades and let me ride them. And it fucking day and night. I was like, I can go 80 miles an hour on skates. Fuck, fuck skating flat with bones bearings or something like yo 80 millimeter with some fucking fresh bear like it was it was like literally like adrenaline junkie drug style i was like <laughs> i've never even rollerbladed before i guess like i can still do tricks i can still flex and do top sides and back slides the wheels don't bother me but i can go fast so power blading became a really big thing and Did they have metal frames on them no, I had the plastic one. Uh, mm. I, I, me and my brother bought both pairs. He had the arrow frames and I had the, just the plastic ones. I think they're called arrows and like something else. But the one, the other ones were metal with uh, plastic sliders on the side that you like, when you screwed in, they like bolted in. It was, so, yeah, just like a buffer thing. Yeah, like you could grind on them. Uh, but they were like a really thin aluminum frame, like around the wheel. And the way that me and my brother skated and shit, like you could bend, you could warp them. And my brother did like, he ended up warping the fucking frame. So I skated the plastic ones religiously because plastic does plastic will get fucked up, but it won't warp. That's that crazy. Yeah. Like he, he bent his frame. So Doesn't like unbend aluminum. Yeah. And, uh, so I've been power blading for a while and I was really trying to work out a deal with somebody to be like a fucking power blade ambassador because this is early and no uh, a few people know about this i was in california hill bombing professionally me and my brother were going on google maps on the terrain setting and looking up hills we would then go on google maps and look up lights and shit like that and rio who i was dating at the time was going to the music school in Santa Monica and the other campus there's uh, she was going to another campus. It's called like uh, the Bundy campus where there's like an airport in Bundy. That's like right outside of it's like, if you're going down Wilshire Boulevard to Venice beach area, it's like, you know, kind of in that little area, but it's like a little, little thing. And there's a lot of Bruce Goose. Yeah. There, there's a lot of fucking Hills and we started like she would go to school from 10 in the morning until two or something. And like, we'd be like, all right, well, we're just going to go fucking hill bomb and we'll meet you back here. And we had power blades. So we were in 80 millimeter wheels, finding the steepest hills and kink hills that we could find here in California. And me and my brother, no cameras, no phones in our motherfucking pockets. We'd leave our phones in the car because we don't want to crush them. Uh, Hill bomb, like, and it got to the point where like I say adrenaline junkie, like fucking drug style. Like we were like looking for the craziest shit we could find. And it ended in me finding, this is actually why I stopped power blading. I, we found a triple kink hill in I want to say it's Santa Monica, but it's likely like Marina Del Rey, but on like the back end of Marina Del Rey, like into another neighborhood. It's a triple kink fucking hill. And the first, uh, the first part of it, it's like a residential street 
but it's blocked off by a barrier. So like, then there's like, not really flat. It's like the hill starts. Yeah, because it's, it's like a one way. No, like, I don't know how to say it. It's like a residential area and the way it's split, like there's sidewalks on both sides, but like, there's just a, a metal like uh, accident barrier. Like it's like a dead end street and there's like an accident barrier. And then like on the other side of it starts a three fucking kink hill. And then at the bottom of that hill, there was a, you know, a regular street, a curb, a patch of grass and a fence. At the so like T stopped and do a patch of grass. Yeah, like yeah. looking at the hill, it was yeah like a T and then like that. But the way how <laughs> wide the the like kinked hill was like twice as wide as the bottom street, because I guess it was made for like in compensation of cars parking. So it became more narrow. No, no, no. So like the whole hill is super wide the whole way down, and then the street at the bottom, like the very bottom street that's like you know, in front of it, it's just a regular two-way street, like cars going both ways. It doesn't have a line on it. It's just like a regular residential oh, street. Okay. So like, it's really thin. And we get to this hill after checking out on Google maps and there were cars parked in the photo we saw, there wasn't a, a car on either side. Me and my brother were planning on bombing the sidewalk because the way that we looked at it, we walked up the hill first. So we plotted it out. That's another thing we would do. We would always walk up the hill first and like, see like, all right, well, we have to move something out of the way. We got to clear this little patch or something. Like you're not, why, why didn't you guys want to go in the, uh, how old are you at this point? Why didn't you guys want to go in the street? Um, because uh, there were cars on. So here there's cars on both sides of the street in the photo we saw. So we planned on going from the sidewalk and shooting out to the right on the bottom of the street because it had this big open uh, sidewalk thing. Like it wasn't like a little curb, like just a little curb thing. It was like the whole right angle of the corner of the street was this like rollout thing. I ride down a lot of hills nowadays and I'm like, I'm kind of questioning this whole method. It's, it's freaking me. You're like, oh, we did the sidewalk. It's usually that's like, you're trying to push the limit as to where usually no, in the street, you're much better it, off. Exactly. Well, no, that's the thing. Like, we were looking at the street and going, there's not enough of an angle within the street to be on the right or left side next to the cars and then bomb left or right on the residential street, depending on if we see cars. Mm. So like, I wasn't trying to get on the street and be on the right side of the street and then like, see that there's a car coming right, like towards me. It's like, if I'm coming down the hill and they're coming right. I don't have time to then like cut to the left side and then follow behind the car. Yeah, and the, I don't want to cut in front of them. The fact what that this is the plan? last, the fact that this is the last time you hill bombed is like, I know that this setup sounds bad and I know this doesn't end well. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It does not. It does yeah. not end so well. How does this, how does this end when you guys decide so to execute your plan? We look, we look at the, we look at the landing and she like I say, like coming out of the last, hill and the flat of the sidewalk and how the curb lets out into the street it's just like it doesn't have it doesn't even have one of those little uh dot stopper things yeah you know it's just a blank thing but it's like uh it's like a instead of it being a point it's like a rounded thing and the whole thing is just like it's yeah it's like the dish style. Mm -hmm. yeah so we were like this is so perfect because we can come from the sidewalk and, and i cut it 
And the way that we can look at it from coming down the sidewalk, the way that this property is, they have a fence. And right as you get to this point of being like halfway down the hill, you can they see. have like a rolling property. And like, you could see the street mm -hmm. from the left side. So I was like, yo, we wouldn't have this vantage point if we're on the other side of the cars trying to look over and shit. So let's go from the sidewalk, peep left to see what's coming and veer right off of the sidewalk and we'll just go down the street. Cut it hard. Yeah. And we weren't planning on T-stopping and going into the fence or anything stupid like that. Like we were like, we're going to, and also at the time, uh, me and my brother were sponsored by this company out of Italy called Roll Line Skill. Crazy. And they were sending us wheels that were insane, bro. Again, if I find my, maybe on Instagram. How'd you uh, get that sponsor? Roll Line Wheels? Because I was doing all that Power Blade shit and free fucking mm. edit marketing and putting the edits up. And they just hit me up on Facebook and they were like, I see that you ride big wheels. Let's see want some fucking wheels and i was like hell yeah and like they sent me like three or four packages of 65 72 80s like me and my brother you know they were like you guys are out there doing it like fuck yeah uh so yeah like at this time like we had super grippy wheels we went back and forth between the undercovers that came stock but like we found this wheel that was literally like man like you couldn't slip out on these things so again it may seem like this sounds stupid and for a regular person, maybe bombing a hill on 60s or something or regular size wheels, you're like, I wouldn't do that. But at this time, me and my brother were hill bombing for three months solid easily. And neither of us had slipped out once. We'd never gotten in a, an accident. We'd never miscalculated and fucked up. My brother had never, you know, like, you know, uh, doubled up in speed and like tackled me trying to slip. Me and my brother, like I say, it was like, almost like airborne style where we're like me and him were just like solo dolo out there. Like we're not going to the skate park today. We're going to bomb Hills. So what happens so, at the end of this, this plan that you guys have, how does it go when you guys do it? seems like you're not the one that got hurt. Oh, I was, Oh, <laughs> my brother fucking didn't fucking asshole. I, uh, I get to the top of the Hill and this is like, you know, we'd fucking be smoking weed and shit. I just had this idea. I get to the top of the hill. I'm throwing the roach on the ground. And I was like, I'm going to gap over the barrier into the street. And because there's no cars on the first kink, I'm going to swerve and like half jump the flat and then cut into the sidewalk behind you, Matt. Okay. And I jumped into the hill and I went to curve to go do that but I was too far over to the right and I would have had to jump over a way big grass gap to land on the sidewalk. Like I didn't get to like the open part of the sidewalk and before. So like, as I'm about to turn, I'm already about to hit the second down as I'm thinking of jumping and there's a whole grass gap and the sidewalk. I was hoping to slide in before it. Mm. I like, you know, it was one of those things like I see my brother go down and like, I guess it's like I jumped over the rail with my feet to the right. So I land going right. Yeah, you drifted. Like, yeah, not like jump in and immediately go down. So I noticed I'm about to do it. And I was like, fuck it. I'll just ride this bitch out in the street. And Matt's already a full like skate, like a push length ahead of me. Yeah. Kind of thing. So like 
worst comes to worst, I'll just flat spot a fucking wheel and like, you know, T stop because at this point we're not at, we're not at power stopping. Like the speed that we're going to be at, at three, like the third hill and coming off is like, there is no weight distribution at that speed without cess sliding kind of thing. Like there is no muscle memory that's going to allow you to be like, you can't turn. Yeah. Like you're, you're just going too fast. And I knew that. And like, we'd done two tier hills numerous times. No problem. Uh, This one was just fucking weird. And so I knew I wasn't going to make it onto the left side. So I just swerved and stayed in the street. And then as I'm in the middle of the street coming down, Matt starts T stopping and I heard him yell something, but I'm thinking about how I just fucked up and I completely put out of my mind, check the fucking yard for the car coming. Mm. Matt and my head, I guess he's yelling car, car, car. So he's, I see, and it's like trees and shit. I see my brother like through the trees, T stopping, you know, and like trying to fucking slow down and shit. I hit the third kink of the hill and my brother is now, I'm like, I'm up a ways. And my brother's just hitting the flat. He T-stopped so much. And he was about to like put his feet back together and like just ride it out Mm. because the way he stopped his speed, the car would have, there was a stop sign also on both things at the end. So left and right, there was a stop sign. Him thinking the car is going to stop and then go, I'll slow myself down a lot and just ride behind the car. I'm like, maybe I won't like, I'm, I'm already so far ahead of Matt. I'm just going to cut left because I can't check right to see if there's a car coming behind me and I'm not going to cut in front of this pickup truck. Yeah. I go to go left and the fucking pickup truck never stopped. Oh shit. And I got hit on my left side, this motherfucker going like 25 miles an hour. And this is like a fucking movie, dude. I got hit so hard as I'm going like, like body going left. It hit me. And like, I spun wrapping off of the car with my feet and legs out. Like, you know, like kind of like that. Like I got hit and it just wrapped me around. Like launched me from the car. I did like a 360 with my, you know, hands and legs out like that. Bounce off of the car, 360 directly onto the like crease of my ass onto the curb that's across the street oh shit and just completely ripped open my fucking leg like all of my body weight being thrown because of like 25 miles into a curb i like literally like split like split my leg open holy shit and Mind you, you remember how I just told you? We don't bring cell phones with us. That sucks. So I got up in, in literal shock. And there was a neighbor outside watering their plants a few houses up. Just start screaming, hey, fucking stop, fucking stop. Trying to get the dude to fucking stop. He knowingly hit me kind of thing. Like, there's no way you didn't feel me hit the front end of your, like, I hit what would have been his left, like, uh, yeah and i mean he would have heard it you know you probably yeah. made a sound i heard it it was a big it was a big like yeah kind of thing and he just he kept going so 
the lady started screaming and shit like that. Oh, shit. I stand up right away and I start checking myself out and I had shorts on. I see that there's blood coming through my shorts, but like I don't I don't wear underwear. I fucking just wear pants, you know, that kind of thing. So like kind of unaware of my surroundings and all of that. Like I just pulled my pants down and like looked at my legs. So like just cock out, like looking at my leg and shit. And then like I kind of look around. And like That's numerous cool. people are coming out of their house. It's like a scene developing. Yeah. And like, uh, I have like blood coming down my leg kind of thing. And I was like, great. So I like went on my thing. And it didn't hit, you know, the adrenaline of the situation and the shock didn't hit for like five minutes. I was telling my brother, I was like, yo, that shit was crazy. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm completely fine, bro. Uh, and he was like, 10 minutes later, you were not fine. Down. Yeah. He's like, yo, shut the fuck up and sit down. You're turning green. Yeah. And I was like, shut up, man. I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. So then like we walk, we walk a block because my brother was like, fuck, like we need to go somewhere. We need to get back to the school. Um, Rio at the time is actually in the middle of taking a midterm or a final. And we had to get back to the school because my brother was like, you don't understand. Like you're, you might like bleed out. Like you, I like ripped. It looked like it's like I ripped muscle kind of thing. I ripped my fucking leg open. Like it was deep and I never got stitches for it. I still have like a, a huge white circle kind of thing. Like it was just like my skin just ripped open from the pressure of where it hit. Uh, my brother says, let's walk back up to the school. Uh, mind you, it's like, we just came down a three tier hill. The only way to get back up is to go back up the hill yeah. to get back to the campus. And that's where it hit me that I was injured. And like, it was basically like I had my hand, I was, my brother was carrying both of our skates. And you're just holding your I leg. I had my hand on my brother's shoulder, like trying not to throw up the whole way up kind of thing. And then there was this really like scary moment where I told my brother, like, yo, I have to sit down. I have to sit down. My brother's like, you can't sit down. Like you're going to like allow that to like be like, I can rest for a second and you're going to pass out. And like, I can't have you pass out right now. Like I don't have a cell phone and shit. And like, also my brother, is like fully both arms sleeved and tattooed and has tattoos on his neck and like clothes. Like, I mean, we were in like shorts and t-shirt. Like we were basically, it's like, you know, Billy O'Neill comes and knocks at your fucking door during the SSM era. And you, you sure you're going to open the door and be like, yeah, do you need, you need something? It's kind of like that. <laughs> like, you know, I, and I, me, like I had, I had short hair and stuff, but like, you know, we were in like, dirtbag skate mode kind of thing we've been out skating we're all sweaty and shit so he was like i can't have you pass out you just got to make it up to the campus you can be within a block of the campus and sit down some shit like that so we get to a block of the campus and i sat down and it I like i've only ever passed out once in my whole life from like something pain related and i can always ride out the wave or puke or something like that but like i sat down and it was like it was like a heroin addict in a movie scene or something i sat down i was like oh and just like slammed down on the ground just like fucking like i had no the second like my brother said the second i told my body i can relax i just like full body loss of control fell over in the grass like where i was sitting and shit and my brother was like freaking the fuck out and was like what the fuck and like two seconds later i just like opened my eyes and i was like yo shut the fuck up i'm fine man i'm fine I'm fine, yeah. you know, you're like sitting up and the shit. pain like, and the exertion probably just took over at that point. Yeah. In the shade, that, you feel a little better. You got to just like lie down for a second, just take a deep yeah, breath. Yeah, quick reset. 
yeah and like i was like i'm fine bro and then like he was like all right we she ended up having to come out of her class early and like asked me if i wanted to go to the hospital and me being like stupid and where i was at the time i was like no nah, i'll just go home and like smoke some weed and shit like that that ended up being that like i couldn't skate for like two months after that sure. and well, uh, was probably jacked up it was fucked it was like i didn't i couldn't and it's like my left leg is kind of like my base leg so this is before you guys went back to new jersey this happened yeah this is in this is in 2012 uh maybe this is in like maybe like the summer or something of 2012 august something like that so and how long how long were you back in jersey for I was back for a year and a half or something because I can't. So it's like, and then all right, went, so hold on, hold on. Before we, before we get to that, because it's a really quick thing, like me being on the, I didn't even do shit. I literally stayed home and took care of my family. And then I got a plane ticket and went right back. Kind of California. thing. But yeah. I was just straight up. Like I, like I'm going back and like so, me and my girl had stayed in a relationship the whole time, like during that time period. So like, I came home, took care of my family, and then, like, was just like, okay, everything's good here. I can go back to California, right? And they're like, yeah, so I left and came back. But I didn't skate while I was on the East Coast. Like, it was a physical thing. I couldn't. I was taking care of my dad. For sure. Someone had to be in the house kind of thing, like, at all times. So, easily five days a week, it was like a job. Like, I was in my house and doing shit and, like, didn't really skate, didn't really do anything. But it's weird that that happened because this is all leading up to – I, uh, I stopped power blading and I took a break. And then when I came back, it was right around the, uh, I guess that would have been June or July because when I came back, it was the fuck, uh, OG blader reunion in San Diego that they threw back in like, there were only two of them and it was Bo Coddington or somebody organized it. And it got everybody out there at a park in SD. And like, there's, there's edits from it and shit. It was like fucking Zamora and all these people came out. It was like a big deal. But then it ended up being the third year they went to do it. It was like the same time as some NIS party, like some reunion party that was going on. And he like, whoever organized it got really mad about that. And was like, fuck it. Like you either come to Blader, the OG Blader reunion or that. So like the first it's like the one that I went to ended up being that like I wasn't riding for anybody. I was riding a pair of fucking rollerblade lightnings that I found off eBay and no sponsor at all. And I went back to riding regular wheels, like just whatever stock wheels I had. Um, the OG Blader reunion thing is coming up and I want to go to it, but I don't know how to get to it. And I think a week before a little, yeah, it was like a week before that um, there was the rip and roast barbecue <clears throat> at Centennial park or whatever park that is that everybody skates. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you the name of what it is. Yeah. Part. The one with that's like super slippery and has like the, the, you know, everybody like airs out of the bowl and then does the one quarter pipe and then the other quarter pipe. Where they do the Negretti Memorial session. Yes, yes. Where they do that. Um, there was like a, it was before, I think it was before they established doing those. It was before the Negretti barbecue. It was like 
2012. It was called Rip and Roast Barbecue. And it was just like everybody came out and there's barbecue. Uh, I went there and it's funny because there's a Daniel Scarano edit, the dude who films Chris Calkins. Shout out Daniel. He's my dog. Yeah. So there's actually a clip of me in his like rip and roast edit and power blade frames. Like the stairs that are there, I like roll up the ledge on the stairs and like dark fish the flat of that weird set that's to the side. But mm -hmm. it was in power blade just because I was like, I literally hadn't skated in months up until that thing. And then like I just brought my skates with me, how they were set up. Yeah. And but I had uh Cody Sanders had just moved to California at the time. From and Texas? Him. That Cody Sanders? Yes. Yeah. 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 Cody Sanders. Uh Texas Cody Sanders. Yeah. Um, so he had just moved to California and was doing some work uh, and was living in, I want to say Huntington beach and me and him had talked prior, you know, like on the internet and stuff and just like, yeah, like love each other skating. Like hope we get to cross paths and him being in California was like, holy shit, dude, we'll actually get to skate. Um, the rip and roast barbecue. I met up with Cody and he gave me a pair of blank frames and a flat setup of rollerblade wheels. We skated. We I instantly just, oh man, you know, you're you're fucking on, you know, like, you're a great friend, like all of this. Like, how did we not meet sooner? And it, it always happens like that. Like rollerbladers that I'm really like, I like your style, things like that. Like I end up meeting them and you guys know it. it's like, what the hell? You know, like we don't have there's no barrier that needs to be broken. There's no ice that needs to be broken. It's like, especially where we are at our age kind of thing. It's like in general, yeah. like you show up to a session and meet somebody new, like have a beer, smoke some weed. Yeah. Even if you don't, you know, like just general socialization, all of a sudden you find out like, Oh, you make music. You you're into cars, bikes, this, that there's always some point where we're all so inner interconnected that like meeting, it was just like a joke. I was like, dude, it's like, we've, we were in each other's crews growing up. You know, like me and we were talking about all of this shit, just like, I love this. I love that. What about this? What about that? So like the whole day, it was just me and Cody just talking and talking. And then they go, Hey, there's a session going on at a school right down the street. Do y'all want to come out? And like, it ended up being that it was like Russell day. And I hadn't, I knew who Russell day was. I hadn't met him prior to this. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been, and he, I, I literally just messaged him last week. Like, I hope you know it's going to come up. You're in, your name's going to come up a few times in this interview. Uh, yes, sweetheart. He is my, he is actual, like I say, I've said, there's like a few people I've mentioned, I guess my brother. It's because like the rollerbladers that I've invested time and energy with that I've actually ended up in some way like staying with and shit. It's like these people share similar views and everything to where it's like I could have been in their crew or family and you wouldn't hesitate to question it. Uh, but it was the first time I met Russell and I'm a huge fan of his skating. So it kind of turned into this like hush, hush battle session. It's actually also shout out to motherfucking easy gang gang. Uh, it's that first time I met Gregory Preston and he came up to me and was like, Hey, I know people from Rochester. I know you from your shit in no food, no water, no tapes and the shit from Chris Troyer. And so I was like, Oh shit. And this is way too easy. Didn't even exist. I mean, Gregory was writing shadows kind of thing. Like this is way. Yeah. So this is way early on. This is literally the first time I ever met Gregory too. Damn. I didn't put that together until right now. Nice. All right. Sick. So 
Um, yeah, so I, uh, I went to the session at the school and it turned into this little battle session. It was Tyler Hester. Oh, I remember him. Wow. Tyler out a big name right there. Yo, and Tyler, kidding. shout out. All right, so here we go, people. Shout out Tyler Hester, KTG, Danny Ruiz. I, I'm horrible with uh, Spanish and Mexican pronunciation and names, so don't roast me too hard there. Uh, Danny Ruiz, uh, the whole gang, Sean Rodriguez, motherfucking Ricky Rodriguez, uh, Jacob, oh. Jacob, all you motherfuckers, y'all all know the deal. Uh, they took me under their motherfucking wing and came out the sessions. No questions, just like, yo, uh, love all those dudes. I hope when they watch this, they, you know, they, they clap. God damn. All those motherfuckers, though. Uh, that's a sick yeah, day. To, uh, that's a sick day to come up on and meet all those dudes. Yeah, it's like all of those guys were there. I actually came with, uh, I came with like that group of people. I came with like Jacob and one of his friends and stuff. And, like we're all at this session, uh, Tyler Hester and all their, you know, those crew of people. And it just turned into this like mini, mini battle between me, Russell and Tyler and Tyler put the nail in the coffin. I can't front Tyler, Tyler. It's like Tyler and Russell way ahead of me. They're generations ahead of me kind of thing. But Tyler on the there's this long curves like kind of curved sea ledge. Tyler Hester just came through and went sweaty three sweaty and then he did sweaty three topsail. Ooh, hard topsail. That was hard, crazy, hard. Yeah, no, no roll, no roll, no no slidey foot. Fucking sweaty with the H block locked to three topsail H block locked. And it was one of those, he did it, power stomp that bitch, and everybody, you know, hands up in the air. God damn. And it only took him a few tries. He did sweaty three sweaty, like, first try or something. And then he was like, okay, okay. And, like, me and Russell, like, I, it was, like, my go-tos at that time because I hadn't ridden flat in a long time, backslide alley top tricks. So me and Russell were going at it with backslide alley top tricks. And, like, that was, like, a weird thing. So I get pulled aside uh, by Jeff Lynette, and he was like, do you ride for anybody? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, do you ride for any wheel companies? Like, I thought you rode for denial or something like that. And I was like, nah, that's like, no, nah, I was just like in Philly and like around all of that. I never rode for denial. I rode denial wheels and I would tell anybody at the time, you know, ride denial wheels. Uh, Came with a sick bag at the time too. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I'm like, and literally I was like one of those kids. I'd be here out in Arizona. Like, hell yeah. I'm riding John Schmidt's fucking pro wheel, his pro gray wheel. With the Philly weird counselor as a kid. Yo, I grew up a town away from uh like I grew up in Collingswood. He grew up in Audubon. It's like 15 minutes away. It's the same town that Mikey Evans grew up in. And like all of those guys, it's like I say, it's such a small, weird, like small world with rollerblading. Like I grew up watching John Schmidt uh skate inadvertently. Like I, I grew up and there was a kid in that town named Chris Akosius who filmed Meatwad and Chris Shaw and all of those guys. And he lived right up the street from my grandparents' house. And one day when I was like fucking six or seven years old, I told Eddie B about this. I was at my grandparents' house and where they live, there's this, uh, it's called Lee's Lane. And it's like a lane that leads down to the lake. But also if you just keep going up the street, that's where Chris Akosius lived. One day, when I was six or seven years old and I was into skating, I saw Ed Braxton and a few other people 
skating down the street, going to Chris Akosius's house because they had come from the fucking train station. And they were going and they ran outside. And I was like, guys, guys, stop, stop, stop. I have rollerblades, I rollerblade. And I was like, I stopped them and I talked to them. And I brought this up to Ed Braxton. He was like, dude, I vaguely remember this. Like we were going to Chris Akosius's house to like trade skate parts and have like a session and like skate uh, Collingswood High School, which was, you know, it had plenty of spots. So that's a weird thing that happened there. Uh, but yeah, so all of the crews and all of that shit, it would be something like, uh, how did I not meet Russell? How did I not meet Cody? All of that. Um, so, so Jeremiah, we're coming up on like almost three hours and like in an effort to like pull the timeline in. Yes, yes. So you're, you're in the crew in California. What brings you back into Arizona in 2019? Um, so this would be, so like Circolo and all that was happening. Uh, the year and a half that I came back was like to the East Coast, I didn't do anything. And then I came yep. back in 2015 or like 14 into 15 or something. Right around when I moved here. Yeah. So like 2015, yeah. I'd come back and I was living in Beverly Hills again. And that's when I started dropping all shit for Circolo. I told Jeff, I was like, it's on. I'm here to like go fucking pro for whoever will make me pro. Um, let's go on these fucking edits. And this is during a time period when Vimeo and putting an edit out on Vimeo and trying to break 1500 views was a big fucking deal. Mm -hmm. So like, we were doing that. I, all of my edits, all of my Vimeo edits, like they would be posted and linked to Instagram or linked to uh, Facebook through mine and the Circolo Facebook. And within, you know, like 24 hours, 48 hours, you have over 1500 views. And so I started telling Jeff, I want to go pro. I'm trying to specifically develop a pro wheel, i.e. the, I have them somewhere, but the speed profile gray Circolos that came out that were the team wheel were supposed to be my pro wheel. Um, I got fucked on that. I actually hand drew the design for it and scaled it down and sent it to him in a, a file in like a file that could have been like, you know, put into Photoshop and printed. And it, did he use that design? No, what ended up happening is like uh, the last run of Circolo and I actually, and this is a thing. So this is all going to bring up to like me coming to Arizona because like 2015, uh, that whole year, I went off. I, I said, fuck it. I'm dropping shit for Socolo, regardless of anybody liking it or whatever. Like During that time period, I would, and the growing weed and doing all the things I was doing, I leave my house with a half ounce of weed. And it is like a replenishable half ounce of weed every 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Like I could just leave my house with weed kind of thing. So like, so what, what, uh, what brings you like, how did through making the wheels and the last run of the circle wheels, how do you get fucked over on that? So me and Jeff at one point actively start talking about, you want to go pro what wheel do you want and what content do you want to be realized for? Like what kind of skating do you want to do? Like you want to do hammer skate? Like it's literal. Like what, what are we going for here? And he didn't, he didn't want what you were trying to do. What, what it was literally in conversation is that like, I am unfortunately one of those people that's like a, it's like the transitional skaters, like for the time period that I came up in 
and everything. Like I said, I'm not that 450 Royale fucking kink rails, but also I'm not super into like where Instagram skating is right now. And like the bastardization of mushroom blading and shit, like the where things are, there's like far left and far right. And I'm like literally right in the middle where like, give me clean tricks, good style. I don't give a fuck what you're wearing or doing. Like just you think you think there's a bastardization of mushroom blading going on? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But what would you like? What would be an example of that? Yeah. people because in a way you could see mushroom blading as like a bastardization of it the, is uh, so this is the issue that i have that like i it's one of these things i've been in support of mushroom it's i said this about michael briggs too i've been down with mushroom blading and michael briggs since before it was cool to be down with mushroom blading and michael briggs like i was on a mall messaging michael briggs like yo you are a genius never stop skating and he knows that like world facts like i was messaging michael briggs on the amol message board and said don't stop you know like he has you, i would literally repost his edits on amol like bow down to the god like come on now don't fuck with me mushroom blading is the same thing i would message them and talk to them about skating and there was like a brief period where i talked with joey and all like about skating and style and things like that and like i i view mushroom blading as a very weird phenomenon in rollerblading. Hear me out very quick. What do you consider real quick? What do you consider mushroom blading? And then and then continue with your thought. Um, I consider mushroom blading because I'm from America by Charles Dunkel's terms, who defined mushroom blading uh, as kind of what is more represented in VG20, the improv section. Like, not necessarily taking the common approach to the spot and or not utilizing the common trick. So when like cess slides, toe heel manuals, things like that, and or, um, so like, I feel like that's like a very early thing, like just interpreting a spot differently or having a very weird selection of tricks is like kind of what like what I would say is like the the birth is and like look at Charles Dunkel in any section but especially I would say fucking steal this video bro like he has a thing where he does he does like a dancing toe manual thing on that pad he does like half cab right toe manual to spinny left to right to cab off and like it's literally in a parking garage on a little pad and he goes like I feel like he has the one thing where he goes like 360 toe manual to set slide to figure. He does just crazy shit where who the fuck else was doing that? But in the same right, look at VG 18, uh, Battle My Crew 2 East Coast, or not Battle My Crew, uh, East Coast VG 2, where Walt Austin and Dre Powell are utilizing set slides in ways they're, that they're not being utilized by general public. Like literally, and how it was explained in the Jump Street podcast, he was like, we'd done everything else. We had wax ground. Why not try to set slide for a really long time or do something crazy? And then like Dre Powell's section in that, it, there's this, the thing uh, in the three-part section. 
they have the very first like ninja one, the freestyle section where he's freestyling with his homie and he's in a parking garage and he does this like hurricane spin on his left foot just like going forward steps down onto his left foot and just does like a hurricane and then goes to fakie and like that to me is like the essence of mushroom blading as well but it's also like they're actually in the borderline of they're from the south so for for dunkled and and that group of people to say this is mushroom blading and that's still being applied there to south there's all different versions of it there is I mean, geez, it's like there's weird things about Philadelphia skating where you apply mushroom blading. Cess slides, I think, apply to mushroom blading in the way that like Colin utilized them. Like, but, but what a part? What what part of this is a bastardization of mushroom mushroom blading? Yeah, that's what I was now okay. So I'm talking about American. There was the these motherfuckers. I actually found out about mushroom blading by watching this old Joey McGarry edit that was on, um, oh my God, what's his, what's his actual, Eric Woods, <coughs> uh, Nemo, like that group of right. people, Eric Woods, uh, his old name on Facebook or whatever, MySpace used to be Erkadirk, and uh, yeah. yeah, he, on his page, there was nothing on there except for an edit of Joey McGarry at the, the park that they always skate and it was just joey in a pair of rems skating flat doing some buck ass shit and this is back in like 2010 or something like that i saw this edit and it was him doing like swiveling like he does the thing where there's the down the down set and he does like swiveling on like a 360 swivel to like soul down the stairs where like him power power swiveling like, you know, wheel turn kind of thing, but it not being like a wheel shuffle, like he fully rotated and like pushes his wheels against. It's like there are aspects of applying things that people don't think about that are within the realm. Now comes mushroom blading where they've self-admittedly said they only skate the way they do because they couldn't and didn't feel comfortable learning and following other popular trends i.e skating big down rails skating in certain air like uh, skating in certain areas where the spots are predominantly like big spots or something like that like there's a few interviews and a few like thing like in their movies things I, like they mention it's like we like it transitioned kind of weird yeah like we kind of noticed and veered in our own direction and to me that is in its own like it is to say bastardization and apply it to the original like a uh, Canadian group of mushroom blading isn't the correct terminology because I would feel like they're again almost another country and out of the public eye for a very long time they've been doing what they've been doing. Go back and watch how to you know how to be how to popular like that in baseball. It they've was all been like, doing it, all. it since. I literally, when I went to Arizona in 2012, Ryan Daly was watching one of the How to Be Unpopular movies in his fucking room when I came and stayed to film my section. I was like, you know about mushroom blading? Literally, I'm not joking. I was like, wait, you know about like Todd and Joey and shit? He was like, yeah. 
Yeah, at that time it was it was different. It's very pervasive now. It's one of the they had been they had been to Arizona, so maybe that's how they knew. But in my head, I'm like, I know about them on some secret shit. Like I just found it, and I I I stalked their pages. Like I found their YouTube page. I followed it and all that. So like I followed up with them from finding that edit on Urkadirk's thing, and like da 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 da, and like I would say that there is a point where they started gaining attention and then had to silently start defining the borders of mushroom blading to where. Wait, say, say that again. Todd and you Joe. You feel like because of popularity? Because of gaining popularity and on what they were allowed to do. Wait, 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 wait. You Sorry, broke up we a little bit. Are you saying it? that because of the popularity, they had to create borders on what they were and weren't allowed to do? Yes and no. I feel like it's this thing, like they're invisible, they're invisible borders kind of thing where they established mm-hmm. through especially, uh, what was it, the Big Wheel movie with uh, Leon Basin to the Action Bronson song? Big Wheels 2. Big Wheels 2, okay. That to me also, them only skating big wheels for it, where that was a niche thing that happened within a closed pocket because of Dustin Warbeski and Richie Eisler, who happened to be from fucking Canada, who were traveling in Spain. So what, what, what is that? How does that connect to mushroom blading though? How does, how does Richie because, Eisler? Because they make a product that then they, it, as I was saying, power blading didn't fucking pick up until maybe the last few years and people weren't really into it. I was literally getting made and I'm going to fuck y'all up on this. I was literally in the Haitian mag house getting made fun of for riding power blade frames. I remember that, that era yeah. right around 2014 to 2016, maybe even to have everybody be wizard blading and shit two years later, like literally yeah. being made fun of like, bro, you're a, you're a fucking loser. Like this shit is dead. This is not a good look for rollerblading. Put on regular frames. I mean, there's some pervasive people that still hold those, those values, which is kind of funny. But. And guess what? Um, all of you rollerbladers that hold nostalgic values are all still broke as shit and working nine to five. So go fuck yourself. There you go. There's a message. <laughs> none of you have ever done any, none of you with these opinions. don't. Skater none of you don't. have ever done it and with these opinions none of those people have ever done anything beneficial for rollerblade to uphold their values and if they did we wouldn't be having that conversation so let's call a motherfucking spade a spade all these people who complain haven't done shit but complain so wrapping all of this up i would say that mushroom blading uh is something that yes when it started gaining attention they started not only producing content um more frequently through social media but started talking more doing podcasts etc where you then get more of a range and an idea and exposure to what they do and don't apply to their own influence in skating like uh they were saying i remember uh the one colin podcast they did um Colin brings up, he's like, who's the predecessor to your style? You know, like you guys are like basically like ODB, like bastard style out there. Like, who are you guys influenced by? And they brought up like, actually, there's a guy who kind of did this 
before us and I can't name them off the top of my head, but it's like to understand that like everything comes from somewhere at some level. What we're seeing with uh, Jesus Christ, because I hate it. I was also, I said it to you, uh, uh, I was one of the first people through Sokolo to fucking ride for Flying Eagle. So oh, beefy, ride, beefy riding Flying Eagle, like I was kind of in the, I was part of why they developed the soul plate for it. Is Beefy still on Flying Eagle? Um, that- I don't know the technicalities of that situation with Icon and all of that. Oh yeah, that's what I, that's that's kind of what I was hinting at. I thought I thought that might. I don't. Be a thing. I physically don't know if the skates are like even like made yet for people to be riding because I'm pretty sure Montre is still riding. His space. Uh, no, he's riding carbons right now, like the Carlos Bernal's or something. Like, oh, okay, I'm pretty sure he's riding USDs. Like, but I again, I have no idea. Uh, all in all, the uh, I seen him riding ties around. That was pretty sick. Doing some yeah. long ass handbar. Yeah. yeah. Um. But uh, I myself would say that I experienced a phase of questioning my own validity of what rollerblading is on all levels when I started powerblading. Because prior to powerblading in 2012, even though I had knowledge of like, oh, people do more than just grind on skates there wasn't necessarily a field of expertise of expression of this is what we do. And I think even younger kids, like unless you played hockey, you never rode over 60 millimeters if you came into rollerblading to do tricks. So- Wait, if you played hockey, you never rode over 60 no, millimeters? Unless you played unless hockey. You played hockey oh, growing oh. Up, if you came into rollerblading to aggressive skate, you haven't intentionally- to aggressive skate yes uh maybe now that that changes because josh glowicky and all those people who started pushing the boundaries of 60 millimeter plus which i'm all fucking for bigger wheels all down baby like that's what it's about ride bigger wheels like go faster cruise this thing like it's like skateboarders who refuse to whack shit why are you forcing momentum on an object like why are you forcing yourself on the ground like go faster the whole point Sandlot style, run faster, jump higher. Like when I put on my fucking PF flyers, bro, like it's supposed to do something. When I put on my skates, it's superhero shit. I can then, the second I put on skates, you mean to tell me I can go faster than the average person. I can jump higher than the average person. I can grind for distances and transport myself from point A to point B faster than a normal person. I can fly for an extended period of time. Tell me it's not being a fucking superhero. That's what I say. Like at some level, you have to realize when you remove yourself from self, there's weird shit about rollerblading where I say like, just looking at it, like to pin it down and saying mushroom blading exists. And then there's bastardized styles that have grown off of it. And people like, uh, you just say that's like the same as like the influences that they took from other people. Exactly. It's an ever, it's a never ending cycle that occurs within life and nature and creativity. Look at the music industry and people defining genres. What is grunge to a person who functions within that scene and makes that music, but doesn't follow that label. Like that label was given by someone else where they took on that label, but like to the actual person who functions within that scene, do you think they apply that to their own shit on their, on a daily basis? Do you think that they walk, I'm a mushroom blader? Like, no, I fucking rollerblade the style in which I choose to present myself may apply to this label, but 
I guess what I would say in that through social media, mushroom blading caught on really fast and that there's at me and my wife talk about this all the time. It's a closed bubble. Now the, the recycling like that happens of being presented something, digesting it, and then you outputting material. Somebody puts out an edit on Instagram right now. I could hit the button on it. If they tag shit, I could hit the button on it and go to the store and buy their outfit or have it shipped overnight to my house, wear their outfit and tomorrow on my phone, go to a spot that looks relatively the same and do almost the same exact trick and post it and tag them and go six style. When the fuck I was coming up, people were just barely using AOL. Yeah, I mean, we're in a different, we're in a different point now. So when I say media and artistic expression itself is being digested at a faster rate, yes, I personally think and can't necessarily give exact points and don't want to throw or put somebody under the bus like, oh, it's a bastardization of anything. But like, yeah, there's people who aren't, aren't quite there yet and have were it's the thing like y'all were just doing tricks for so long and you just picked up mushroom blading this concept of applying this thought process to your skating you so know i guess like, what you're saying is like you don't like seeing i don't like seeing undeveloped people. undeveloped mushroom blading techniques like when someone's like trying to seeing, attempt something that's yes. like that has been that has been executed properly a concept that you can kind of identify and show better examples of seeing it performed as if that's correct is can be it can be very frustrating and people saying like wow dude you did it so sick that's what i don't like about like pretty sloppy kids are not held to the same standards which also goes to older people leaving and re-entering the sport hey you can't be a bitter old man too now oh i'm not bitter about shit because i'll put anybody in their fucking place on skates (laughs) yeah like no like the actuality of any situation when it comes down to it like let's put this out here the values that I uphold from Philadelphia and the way that I skate and the things that I were taught, I still uphold in my skating today. Hence you guys mentioning that ledge edit, but I've put out plenty of other material, i.e. all of the feet stuff that I did. Okay. So to go over uh, me coming to Arizona and all that, like, let's get into that. Uh, Circolo died. Uh, I got fucked over on the pro wheel. I said, you know, like I have better shit to do with my time. And not only that, at that time period, I was growing weed, making more money than I was in rollerblading. I was making music uh, semi-professionally where right around the time that I stopped skating for Socolo, I got- That was Sands, right? Yeah. So that's, yeah. This would be leading up to starting Sands and me taking a break for a little bit and nobody saw me for it was like i did all that circolo shit and i disappeared yeah you were you were you didn't make much between like 2016 to 2019 or even like okay so 2020 this is, all right so here's here's the very fast timeline 2015 i came out i did work i wanted to go pro for circolo uh we were slotted to do that and um you died 10th, november 10th 2010 uh, or 2015, Jesus Christ. Uh, November 10th, 2015, I was staying with Russell after Blade Cup. Uh, I was going through some shit with my girlfriend and I needed to skate and film for an edit. Like we had a team. For Circolo. Circolo edit. Yeah, so I was like, hey, I'm going to go and stay with Russell 
for the weekend, like Friday through Monday. Like, I'm just going to go stay with Russell. I just need some time to just skate and not come home every night, go skate the next day. Like I just need to like skate trip right now. Um, so did he, you needed to film an edit with Russell and did he like, help you we film? Were filming, he okay. put, he, so this would have been for the Circolo dot edit that was put out. And it was the full team edit with like, even like Yuri Butello and all those mm -hmm. people. Um, I went down to film with that uh, November 10th, 2015, me, Russell and Oscar Sosa are sitting outside in his cul-de-sac thing. Uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that's Circolo team though. That's the, that's team homie right there. Like all three of us were very close friends and still are. I just talked to Oscar two days ago. I just talked to Russell yesterday. Uh, you know, like those are literally my brothers, my friends. Uh, but we were skating out in front of his house and we got done skating and I had, I had just gotten some tricks back and I go inside and check my phone. And a few weeks prior, because of health complications, my dad had from the knee down on one of his legs, the leg amputated mm, and didn't really recover right. from it. And my dad died while I was at Russell's right next to him, his mom and Oscar Sosa. I was on my phone and I had missed calls from my mom. Like it was within minutes. Like I was doing tricks as my dad fit, like uh, my, as my dad's spirit left this earth. He was like, and the weird thing, I, I almost cried saying this to my mom earlier. I was like, mom, I was skating a P rail, just like the P rail I had out in front of the house on Stokes that, you know, like our house. And like, I was getting back all these tricks just like back in the day, goddamned if it wasn't dad sitting over me, like giving me some tricks back. I opened up my phone. I had two missed calls from my mom and a text message that said, your dad coded at blank time uh, like this. And I called my mom and it didn't register for like 10 minutes. I, I was on the phone with my brother and my mom and shit. And I was just like, what? Like, what the fuck? And then like, I put down the phone and like fucking... It was like the world went blank. I just like, I, th I, I think that I only didn't pass out and fall over because let me take a deep breath. Russell, Oscar and his mom came over and just fucking bear hugged me. So when I say rollerblading is one of those things, like I'll rollerblade until the day I die and I'll talk shit about what I like about skating and all that, because that just kept me alive. You love it. Like, bro, I'll, I'll, but, I, I've been in a love, I've been in the pure love hate relationship with skating since day one. I'll never get, it's like, I'll never, I take breaks. I consciously take breaks. I'll never like give up skating. I literally like skating is one of those things that like turns me on in life. Like I'll be depressed because of anything else externally and look at skating. I, I didn't skate for a while. Patrick Ritter skating me and uh, Seth Miner talk about this. Seth Miner started skating again because of Pat Ritter. I saw Pat Ritter shit and I was like, Goddamn boy, you're doing it properly. And I was at that time, so my dad died. I uh, left, I went home, moved my mom out because as I told you the situation where my grandparents kicked her out, mm -hmm. moved my mom back home uh, with close friends back to Pittsburgh. So my mom is still in Pittsburgh doing real great. All of my other family members are doing great. Uh, I'm the middle of five. So my older brother and my youngest brother are both out here in Phoenix with me. And, you know, me and my little brother still hang out, make music. My older brother has four fucking kids, so he doesn't skate as often and like on camera as he should, that kind of thing, but still has every pair of NIMS. That's cool. Our family's still close. Oh, well, yeah. At this point. Yeah. So it's like all of us still like, uh, it's like we're out here. And then my two other siblings, 
it makes there, it makes sense why you ended up back in Arizona. They're all out there still, and it's like yeah, you're supposed I to family, back. your bros. Like now, it, it, it kind of right all makes when, sense. Yeah, right when my dad. Uh, right when my dad died, and like we made the decisions on what we were gonna do. Me and my brother, and at the time, his uh, now wife was pregnant with their first kid. Uh, we decided like let's go back to Arizona, and just hit the reset button. Like I wasn't in a like. I was at the tail end of my relationship with the girl Rio that I was with. And like, she was actually in Mexico getting her dual citizenship because her mom had just gotten married down there. So like when I was planning on coming back in 2016, uh, I was bouncing around. I was homeless for a little bit. And this is the more fucked up thing on why I quit skating uh, for a little bit. And I'm going to say this out loud. So nobody ever works with him again. Every Circolo edit that you guys like that came out in 2016 and me skating cults, I produced while skating, uh, while sleeping on the closet floor of Jeff Lynette's apartment. Um, he had a storage because he was property manager. He had the keys to a little closet like storage unit thing that he kept the Circolo shit in. And this piece of shit really like I didn't have anywhere to stay because my girlfriend couldn't physically leave and come back up from Mexico kind of thing. And like, come back and like, put me up and all of that shit, like all this crazy shit. It was just like a weird situation. He like really let me like feel like I wasn't allowed to be in his house or anything like that or sleep on. He had a futon that Cameron Talbot had come and stayed and filmed a section for Circolo and stayed in his house. He like made me sleep on his floor of the, storage unit closet and then when his wife found out that i was doing that snapped on him and was like why would you do this to jeremiah like he can sleep on the futon like she basically was like jeremiah like go get in the shower go to sleep on the futon like handed me money and was like they live next door to a fucking fries she was like go get yourself food she got really mad at him and so like basically after that little run and when i got back to the beverly hills house um i quit the second I was safe, I quit. And he fucked me on my pro wheel, like all of that. Like I was sleeping on the ground, filming my pro edits, da, 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 that everybody was like, I literally had people commenting on my shit. Like Chris Calkins was commenting on Circola's post, like, damn, when are you going to make this kid pro? You know, like, so it's like leading up to that. So I, in 2016, uh, up into that summer started uh, growing weed, under contract for somebody else mm -hmm. which made me step away uh but so after all this happened you you moved back to arizona like was it because yeah. your brothers were out there no yeah. uh, 2000, so it's like, no so like 2000 so 2016 into 17 i was growing weed and i met hannah and we moved so this will be really quick i just i moved out to coachella valley area and then san bernardino and just one day, I, uh, I got a, a notice uh, about Keaton Newsom's memorial mm. session at Garvanza Skate Park. And I went out and I skated and I hadn't skated in easily six months, over a year. Like I hadn't put skates on my feet. Okay. And Gregory just messaged me and I, I Robbie Pitts posted it and I just started posting it around. Like, I hope to see everybody there. Like Keaton me and Keaton talked a lot. I won't go into detail about shit. Cause like 
it's one of those, like, I don't ride for razors or ground control or anything, but like, I have messages on my Facebook where Keaton was directly asking me, like, will you ride for ground control and be on the watch list team right now? And I said, no, because I'm done with Circolo and I'm taking a break from skating. So me and Keaton rest his fucking soul. Like Keaton was doing work behind scenes that people don't know about, uh, trying to keep shit going, trying to keep me going, trying to keep people going. Um, I took a break. Um, I filmed that edit. Gregory told me like, you need to start skating again. And if you ever want to skate, hit me up and we'll film something. I hit him up a little bit later. And this was, uh, 2018, uh, the too easy edit that I put out with him. This was, that was, so that was 2018 into 19. Cause that was in December. And that's why in the edit, it says 2019 at the end of it before it loops again, because mm-hmm. uh, like me and him were saying like everybody that we were skating with, we were like 2019's comeback season. Like I'm gonna be skating for too easy. I'm gonna be back and skating with y'all and shit. Like I cleared out my schedule. I wanted to skate again and shit. So that edit that I filmed with them, this is all, this is all leading up to Arizona. This is all leading to me coming back to Arizona. Uh, I was skating with them and ever so conveniently, Lonnie Gallegos walks past us because he was walking. He lives, you know, he, uh, at the time like that, he lives super close to MacArthur park and we were skating right outside of MacArthur park. And I was actually doing this fucking, I was the, the ender of that edit, the gap over the wall into the street. Mm-hmm. Lonnie was walking a friend home and stopped to watch us get the clip. And then, uh, he told me like, Hey, like, you know, like basically in passing, we should have worked together shit like that. Like, uh, also, I guess when I got on Circolo and Cody Sanders, all of that, Cody Sanders got me on the rollerblade for a little bit and it didn't work out because the skates didn't work out. So during that time period, I was actually supposed to work with Lonnie and film with the rollerblade team for like those edits that he put out, like, uh, with Cody Porsche and mm. Sizemore and Keen and fucking, uh, Robert Guerrero, mm-hmm. the last, the very last one that was in SoCal, I was supposed to like go and film with them. They sent me three pairs of skates, like troopers, the downtowns and something else. And just they, none of them fit. Mm-hmm. And I felt so fucking bad. And also Tom Heiser, shout out to him for being so cordial about the entire situation. And he literally told me at one point when I was like, dude, these downtowns don't fit. The colorways fucked up. I could dye the whole thing. Da-da-da. And he's like, I could put you on retainer until next spring when we put out the black and white uh, downtown. If you like want to wait until then. And I was like, I appreciate it, but you know, like, that's cool. It, it all yeah. was like very, no, Tom very is actually one professional, you know, super professional person that I've really dealt with. And, you know, that was again, rollerblade for all companies. It's like, yes, I would, I would like to get a skate for razors before I die, but good fucking luck on that happening. So, uh, hey, yeah, all right. We gotta, so we got to wrap yeah. this up though. We've been at this. I for, came back. Three hours. Yes. I came back to, uh, I came back to Arizona because after working with Lonnie and doing all of the feet stuff, uh i had a lot of music stuff going on simultaneously and lonnie and lonnie my wife june and i at one point it's actually joey the last time that i saw you at lonnie's we were in the middle of like producing an album yes you had that giant board on yeah i had the huge 16 track over there like the coffee (laughs) table dude it was wild (laughs) and that's the thing like like me me and lonnie and uh june have 
you know, we already recorded and we like, you know, we, we work on music and Lonnie works on music in his own time and makes his own kind of like music and shit. So like we basically, you know, it's all under wraps. We got a project together we recorded some stuff and like, that was the focus because also this is pre, this is literally right before COVID. Uh, we had plans for like, he was talking about the next feet video and stuff and like, may like dealing with the aspect of making music for it and how are we going to get the music instead of worrying about labels and all of that like what if we source the music entirely from skater shit like that so like uh obviously you just did that it's like not not that it hasn't been done just like actively and you saw like we were making the music kind of thing so mm -hmm. uh that was a huge focus and the last feat edit was put out on like mother's day and so from mother's day up until october we were working on music. We were all still hanging out and working on music. Uh, I just had a really weird situation where I had a deal on the table with a label and I can't, I, it's like a legal thing. I can't mention this. I can't mention names. Mm -hmm. I had a, like a advance on the table to go and do a six week live tour, then go record my album and go from there. And I wasn't in a good space mentally and health wise, I really wasn't in a good place, like touring and all of that. Like I just wasn't in a good place where I could have done it. Uh, I decided like I'd been to Arizona before and this is all just, we'll wrap it up right here. I came back to Arizona really to just take a break. And I didn't even think I was going to be skating. Like I came back out here with intentions of like, I had a lot of music shit to do, like music recording. And there's people out here that I needed to record with. Like I have a, a set of like jazz tapes. I hate the word jazz because it's not real, but Miles Davis influenced music that I've been working on for like four years now with a bunch of different musicians. And I came out here to really like knock that shit out. Uh, you, so Joey, you mentioned Sands. Sands was a three piece with me, June and Jake. It turned into faders when we added a uh, rhythm guitarist. His name's Noah Estrella. And uh, that's what fueled really us coming out here was like we locked in as a band and we were like, all right, we can do this. And then I told Noah, like, if I do, if we, if we as a band are going to mark ourselves, like as faders, if you're going to be with faders, I have the jazz tapes and that's what we're working on. But I have to go to Arizona to record with like uh, my one friend, Tori, who plays trumpet out here. Uh, Nicholas Villa, who I skate with out here, plays guitar and shit. Like there's a lot of people that coincide In the with the community what I'm doing. too. Yeah. Yeah. So like I came back out here because one, I kept telling, June from the day that I met her Phoenix is going to happen while you're with me you know like Phoenix is a fucking like a, a spiritual place for me like uh there's something about it that, like, yeah it, it it was my it's a thing this I didn't go to California first I feel like a lot of people will like vacation and go to California for the first time leaving the state they're born in if they go to the west coast it's like yeah I went to California I went to Arizona right. Yeah, yeah, that's so, different. I've, I've been to Arizona and I knew how hot it was in the summer. So that's a little extreme. That's like almost as bad as the winter in New Jersey. I left in October and the day that I left, it was 40 fucking degrees. And I came back to a snowstorm in 2010, the first time visiting. So it, it really has a piece of my spirit here. I love it here. I came back here because there's a lot of music work to do, but then also uh, Sergio Ybarra and Playback Fantasy, uh, Sam Geis, uh, Nicholas Boquetto, uh, uh, Boquetto is his music name. I always just say that that's his, uh, <laughs> that's his Instagram thing. Uh, Nicholas Villa, uh, 
Sergio Ibarra and me with playback fantasy. That's been something that's just like uh, Sergio just moved into a house with his wife and stuff. So like the, we've all been and COVID and all the shit, we've all just been sitting back. Uh, but and, playback that's, and that's, that's on the music scene and the skating scene. You're still working with Ryan. We see at the TNS with like even yeah. Dale, yeah. Ryan so, Daly and became, that's, yeah, that's another thing. Like I, I'd never worked with Ryan prior, but then I made the joke about when I came out here, the recreational fear competition that I did, uh, he, like, he, that was the first time I'd ever filmed with him, like, that he'd filmed me kind of thing. But I was also skating his Solomons in that, like, uh, that competition, the box and stuff. Like, I, I, remember, I think you wrote about that in the Instagram post. You're yeah. like, thanks for letting me skate these and, like, for yeah, the clips. Yeah, Solomon, bro. Like, yeah. I was like, I felt like I was 16. Like, skates that weren't mine, just put them on, did good in a competition, like, all of that. And, like, Ryan, you know, he filmed those clips and showed them to me. And I was like, damn, I haven't filmed anything since feet. This is great. You know, like, so from then on, it was, it, and it hasn't been a conscious thing. Like we get to TNS and it's like, all right, time to film and edit. It's literally no, like just all fun. sessions, every single fucking session with him. It'll be, and I, I, I get on him about this. It'll be after I've done the trick or something like numerous times or I'm sessioning and like the Tempe spot and shit. Like I go to Tempe and I just walk in and session the down ledges and shit. And every now and then he'll just be like, you know, camera out, you know, like, you ready? And I'll be like, okay. But there's never all of those edits. Again, even that ledge edit, it wasn't some like. It comes and, across too. Like you're yes, just, it's just natural. Does. It's not, nobody's telling you. And that's one thing, thing especially. You're not putting on any airs either. It's just you're skating at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like from feet is really when I felt like, uh, even though the them skates that I was skating, the medium shell, they were too big. Uh, I really feel like I like, a hundred percent came into my own during the feet edits. And that was just the pocket of like where I was in life. Like I'd always wanted to work with Lonnie. Like I literally, like I've always wanted to work with Lonnie. So like, uh, just that happening and synchronizing was like a fucking legendary moment. And just the things and how we ended up doing those edits. It's the same thing as, uh, here in Arizona, me and Lonnie would meet up, uh go out for the day and just fucking skate like you guys saw i just smoked weed in the edits like there's nothing to hide there like both me and him at the time were like growing and shit and that was also another point of us hanging out was like me and lonnie were in another aspect outside of life like we were growing weed and trading weed and shit all the time and like i would just come on the weekends and like we would film those edits like smoke some weed go out and skate come back edit the edit right there on the spot and he'd airdrop it to my phone. He would post it. I would post it. It was literally like a 24 hour loop and an edit would be done. And then we would talk about, all right, next time let's go here. Next time let's go there here. I don't have that relationship with, uh, Ryan, you know, it's, it's a completely different dynamic. Like me and Lonnie are almost like the same person. So, you know, it's, it's just different. We're doing that. But all in all, I know you just said we are hitting the uh, 315 mark here. Uh, I feel like we got across a lot of it, and I didn't uh, I didn't have to burn any talk shit on anybody. Can you understand, Joey? Yes, I can't understand anything he's saying. It's just like a garbled. Yeah, it's just like nothing's coming good from over there. <laughs> Yeah, I just see him with his arms crossed. I think yeah. we got your full fucking timeline. It, yeah, <laughs> what? No, I, Joey, we cannot. Joe, hear you. Joe, no. it sucks. <laughs> cannot hear you. <laughs> we, 
<laughs> Sorry. This is uh, this. All right. Hey, Jeremiah, that I think you did a great job. You covered the timeline in a sick way. You're right. Thanks for thanks for coming on and talking to us. Like to have you yeah, in at some uh, point. Man. Also, for everyone that needs to understand this, I've literally known Joey and Taylor for like 15 fucking years. Like I yeah. just turned 30. Like I've known you guys since you were 14 and 15. We were skating yeah. sessions randomly. Like I've known you guys for 15 fucking years because of rollerblades. Let's go for another 15, boss. Oh yeah, it's on. Let's Please. fucking go. I mean, this, I mean, hit it wet. Where's my uh where where's my couch to sleep on so I can come film a fucking section? Like right Jesus here, Christ. <laughs> I'm damn me and me and June have been saying, like, I need to I need to hit San Francisco for a quick trip real fast. Like, Jesus. I hope that USD makes you motherfucking pro. I hope them realizes what they need to realize with you, Taylor. Uh, I don't want to ride for anybody unless they are going to allow me to do what I want to do. So it's likely that I'll end up making skates sooner than later again. And uh, I'm skating stripped K2s right now. So I'm not shouting out anybody. Uh, Shout out feet too easy. Ghetto community. Hit it motherfucking wet. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. Yeah, I got, I got the, Right there. Let's go. Uh, Two feet. Let's see. Uh, also, I mean, Lonnie gave me this shirt. Ain't nobody got this. Yeah, that's a pretty sick shirt. Medium. Sick. What? Oh, dope. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Way old school. But uh, I love all you guys. Rollerblading is an extremely important part of my life. And will always be. Uh, I have to shout out Ryan Lowey and Rudy because when I went to the blade cup back in 2017 i think it would have been or maybe it was 18 or some shit like that uh ryan wowie was like dude if you ever want to like step back into things just like let me know and ryan somebody who knows me from the east coast so i was like damn like that means a lot to me coming from you guys like i haven't seen anybody from the east coast in a while and like he and the photos that came up on the bmag booth like him and uh jeremy Labayas, uh, you know, big shouts out to them for getting me back into things and keeping me around kind of thing. Lonnie as well. Uh, more shit to come. I'm always, don't, don't worry. I got, there's some shit that's about to happen. I can't say I'm literally, I'm not even allowed to say, but basically all I, I'm going to say this Europe. Nice. Europe. Exciting. Before the end of the year, Footage from me. Doherty's going to Europe. In, in Europe, bro. That's all. Let's go. Let's Fucking go. roost. Well, it's been I another one. I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to do this. Uh, and like I said, you know, here's the 15 more fucking years. Smoke more weed. Uh, skate flat. And if you don't skate flat, you probably should. And uh, I'm going to go skate. Me too. I'm going to play. I'm going to go pick up seth miner's wife from work and uh that's that's what i do sometimes during the week and uh yeah so shout out all the homies uh i love you guys everybody have a good day be safe and uh yeah wax motherfucking toaster peace Peace. y'all peace